get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. depth now that you've added to our minor league system that you didn't have say four days ago has changed dramatically um, in terms of impact when you're looking about out uh, at trying to fill three rotational spots obviously we know that that's either going to have to come through the trade market this offseason or the free agent market and we'll prepare ourselves for the following but we didn't feel like there was those types of deals existed to like in this process um, and so we, we looked at really what path we could go down, and, and we decided to go down the path of, of just adding as much depth or, or breadth, if you will, to our system. And I feel like we accomplished that. Now, next year's roster is going to look different. We know that. Um, we, we weren't at the competitive level we wanted to be, and so change has to happen. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESP. And that was John Mozalock speaking with the media yesterday about what the Cardinals were able to accomplish yesterday. I feel like far too much time has been spent on what they were not able to accomplish yesterday instead of what they were able to do. But we're going to focus on both today. Let's start, though, Alex, with the moves that the Cardinals were able to make. They go out there, they trade Jack Flaherty, they trade Jordan Hicks. Henesis Cabrera was technically traded. I think we forget about that one. Uh, They were able to trade Jordan Montgomery, uh, Paul DeYoung, Chris Stratton. Basically, every free agent to be not named Drew Verhagen was dealt at the trade deadline by the St. Louis Cardinals. And that was pretty much the theme for everybody across Major League Baseball. This was not your Juan Soto or Manny Machado, Shohei Otani. There were not a whole lot of superstars, and there were very few cost-controlled players that were moved at the deadline. All things considered, the Cardinals did pretty well. Here is where the players, Alex, that the Cardinals traded for now rank, according to MLB.com, in their system. Fourth, sixth, 8th, ninth, and then 22, 23, and 26. So they now added six guys, essentially, that rank in their top, or excuse me, seven guys that rank in their top 25 prospects in their system, and five of those seven players are pitchers. That's a pretty significant haul given what they were able to trade. I would give their trade deadline a B. It's not overwhelming. It's not something that we're going to look back on 10 years from now and say it changed the trajectory of the franchise. But given what they had to offer, I think John Mosellock did pretty well. I, I do, too. I, I would give him a B. I know it's not exciting because you didn't get the you didn't get the sure thing in your rotation. You didn't get the top 100 baseball prospect thinking that this was a steal and 
you accomplished what you said you were going to do in terms of bring in pitching, pitching, pitching. And of those rankings that you mentioned, you've got one guy that a lot of scouts profile as somebody who could be a, a three, maybe a two starter for the Cardinals in the future. You've got a couple of infielders that project to be everyday or fringe players for the team. And then you got guys who are closer to the major league level for next season. Those are the guys that were 22, 23 and 26 on this list. So you accomplished a lot. You still left a lot to do in the offseason. But as Mo mentioned yesterday, that's not an easy thing to accomplish. Just like we talk about in the hockey trade deadline where you don't see blockbuster deals get yep. made. You're not going to get the deals for Logan Gilberts. It's very apparent that they weren't able to pull that off or get a MLB ready starting pitcher from the Marlins. But what you did accomplish was you traded away pieces that you knew weren't going to be a part of your team next year. So basically you were just getting second round picks for them next season if they weren't coming back. But you upgraded that in terms of bringing in multiple options for your minor league system that start in double A AA or AAA that could be options for you next year. So, yeah, I would give them a B, an average B for this trade deadline. Yeah, I, I would go B minus because I think they did accomplish some things that were on their to do list for me to grade them, which was they added depth to the minor league system that I think can help them next year, whether that is it helps them at the beginning of the 2024 season or it helps them as starters that come up through the system next year as depth pieces. I also think they got some intriguing infield options, which I wasn't expecting and that wasn't on the to-do list, but it was a nice kind of uh, cherry on top of everything. I thought they got one one arm in the minor in the minor leaders that they got that has some upside now granted it's a little concerning that upside is also like oh don't look over here but he's dealing with the shoulder injury right now i think where they kind of missed the ball and were not able to get the a for me is they weren't able to acquire a cost control starting pitcher and i, I think that was something that had to be on the to-do list and i i think that's the only way they could have gotten an a but i do think they did fairly good in their trades i think they got some pretty good hauls i think when you look at the Hicks and the Jack Flaherty deals. I think they're kind of underwhelming, but I understand that because those were rentals that were coming off the board. So let's hear from John Mosaylock. What did he accomplish? What did he feel he accomplished based on what they did at the deadline? Here's what he had to say yesterday. When you think about what we were able to accomplish over, you know, really last week and a half, we acquired 10 players, seven of which are pitchers, um, five starters, two relievers, one at the major league level. Three will be assigned to AAA, one at AA, and one at, at um, low A, and then one will be rehabbing. Uh, three position players, one going to AAA, one to AA, and one to our complex league. So pretty diverse group, but um, you know, when you when you see that many players going to AAA, feel like we gave ourselves a chance to really add uh, uh, to our bench, if you will, and to give us a lot of options moving forward and, and something that we don't have to wait four or five years to see a return on. So net-net, we're excited about it, but we still have to be patient, get them into our system and see really where we're at. I love that he used the net-net. Net. It was in the first two minutes of his availability yesterday. It was just perfect. And he Chef's threw kiss. and be patient at the end of it, too. It's, it was like so. a... It was, it was a bingo, yeah. In his opening statement, it was perfect. <laughs> so I like what the Cardinals were able to do because I, I think they got a, a wide array of options for themselves on the pitching staff. TK Roby is the highest upside piece that they got. He's also got some serious injury questions. He had a so shoulder issue this year. He had an elbow issue a couple of years ago. He might never make it to the big leagues. That's entirely possible. Welcome to pitching prospects. But he also has upside. He's got, apparently, according to scouts, four-plus pitches, potentially. It's a nice piece to be able to get in a deal for Chris Stratton and Jordan Montgomery. They also added a lot of floor guys, right? 
Drew Rom, the kid that they got in the trade yesterday. I wish they would have got his brother, CD. I had that Does one. Does that joke land for T-Bone? No. God, no. no. I don't understand okay. what I had that one ready to go I, last night when they I, traded for him. I'm like, oh, I'll save this for the show. I couldn't decide if that was going to land with T-Bone or not. No, of course what's not. What's the age? What's the cutoff for a CD-ROM joke? Oh, uh, 25, 26? Because it's pretty close to us, right? Yeah, I would say 99 would be the cutoff. Because T-Bone, oh, you're 22? Yeah. So no, wait, 23. 23? Yeah, so you were born in 2000, buddy. No, I was born in 99. Oh, okay. Uh, you know what? 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Did that CD-ROM joke land for thought, you? Oh, it landed for everybody. Look, the text. Doing, Good Lord. I thought yeah, he was doing one of those CDs, you know what. I, that's what I thought that was. No, his last name. That would have worked, too. That but yeah. different jokes yeah, for different folks. He has to have a different last name for that to work. Gotcha. Drew Rom is probably going to end up being a reliever. He's a really interesting player, man. He throws 88 to 90, and he's got a really good slider. I don't know if that works in the big leagues, but I also say that as somebody. He does. 101, 100 strikeouts in 86 innings? I think the Cardinals just acquired the young version of Randy Choate. I think that's what they just acquired. Do you remember Randy Choate? He's Adam Wainwright, but 24. (laughs) And left-handed, most importantly. It doesn't make any sense, but it seems to work, so we'll see what ends up happening with him. Zach Showalter is a 23-year-old. He's in high A-ball right now. Or excuse me, he's he's the 23rd prospect in the Cardinals system. He's 19 years old he is a high upside pitcher that may never see triple a much less the big league so buck's grandson not related they got a lot of different types of pitchers that they were able to bring into the mix and i think there is some criticism of like yeah but you didn't get like top 100 prospects nobody did guys the only top 100 prospects that were moved at this year's trade deadline were for aaron savali the only cost controlled pitcher that was traded this year at the deadline Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander. And that was the Mets buying prospects. They sent out almost $90 million with Scherzer and Verlander to be able to bring back a total of three top 100 prospects. If you weren't sending out $40 million or giving up a cost-controlled pitcher, you basically weren't getting a guy that had cost control or had legitimate top 100 prospect status. So given what was out there and available at this year's deadline and what the Cardinals had to offer, did pretty well. I do think you could have been more aggressive with that. And that's where my only criticism is like, yeah, nobody was moved other than Aaron Savali. And look, I think you probably could have tried to be in on the Aaron Savali sweepstakes. If there even are sweepstakes for that average of a pitcher, but you didn't accomplish one of the tasks that I wanted them to see do on the trade deadline. And that was get somebody established for your rotation. And Mo even mentioned it. You are setting yourself up for a very difficult off season Mo seems to believe that they can accomplish it. I don't buy that, which is why, look, Seattle wasn't willing to move Logan Gilbert. You know when they would have been willing to move Logan Gilbert? If you would have called them and said, hey, let's talk Donovan. Let's talk Gorman. Let's talk talk." Apparently they weren't, though. And this is what I want to get to next. Because I think this is the biggest criticism, and I know T-Bone disagrees with me vehemently on this subject. Alex, I know you've been on this side of things for a while as well. I am over here on Not Concerned Island until I need to be concerned. John Mosaylock failed to acquire a cost-controlled starter at the deadline. I wanted him to get one, but when I saw what the lack of activity that took place yesterday, it was really hard for me to be critical of him yet. I'll explain my stance on that, and T-Bone and Alex will crush me for it next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 
ESPN. I think there might be some Cardinals fans who are, are disappointed to see that the the whole band in the outfield is still together. That you know Tyler O'Neill didn't get moved, Dylan Carlson didn't get moved. They have time. They could do it in the winter. You don't have to make the deal right now. And and what you're hoping is Tyler O'Neill plays better over the next couple of months. I mean, that's what they said publicly was you don't want to sell low. So we're going to let hope that he plays better over the next couple of months and we can uh, trade him for more in the offseason. Still possible because you still have that year of command left. That was the Athletic Baseball Podcast. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. They were talking about what the Cardinals failed to accomplish yesterday. And Alex, while I do like what they did during the trade deadline, I also have to acknowledge the very real possibility that they left themselves too open in the rotation. They need three starters this offseason. And finding three starters uh, is going to be a very difficult task. And an entire bullpen. There's that as well. And a center fielder. And probably I'm not sure that they feel like bats. they need a center fielder. Oh. So, oh, well, they probably should. Let's focus on the pitching staff for this discussion. Oh, so you want to cherry least. pick this discussion. Okay, cool. I don't think Go I'm for cherry it. Picking. I'm Go just talking it. about the stuff that they like legitimately need. They could get through next year without having a center fielder going into the season, and they might be fine if Tommy Edmond can play the position. Yeah. And we all think that he can. They'll get through just having a mediocre bullpen next They year. cannot get through next year with the current pitchers that they have available to them. They can't. They would be a 60-win team, probably. And that might be generous, honestly. So John Mosellock was asked about this yesterday after his trade deadline decisions. Here's what he had to say about their inability to land one of those pitchers that we all wanted to see them get. We didn't feel like we, we could do that in this period. Was it talked about? Yes. Where where there was that sort of their strength or their depth, they just weren't in a position to pull the pull it now. And I think a lot of things you got to always remember this time of year Teams that are trading for to win now don't want to trade from their current roster. And so it just really limits your ability to make that more impactful deal. So I, I know what's coming my way. BK's on Moe's payroll. BK wearing the Moe bow tie. All fair. I'm not. I would accept the money, but I'm not. Alex, I didn't have a whole lot of criticism for what they did yesterday or what they failed to do yesterday because nobody else did it either. The Cardinals are not the only team that needs cost-controlled pitching. The only cost-controlled starter, though, that was dealt was Aaron Savali. And honestly, guys, while I would like to see Aaron Savali in this rotation, I think he would be an upgrade from what you have currently. He's like 35th on the list of guys that I would like to see them add to this rotation. He's a fine starter that doesn't have a whole lot of swing and miss and is probably currently having the best season that he'll ever have in his major league career. So if they missed out on that and they would have had to give up Mason Wynn to get him, which is probably what the cost would have been because they ended up getting a top 100 prospect for Aaron Savali, I'm okay with it. But it does put enormous pressure on John Mosellock going into the offseason to acquire not one. Not two, not three, three oh. starting pitchers. And then, yes, what you said earlier is also true, Alex, some relievers as well. So it puts a ton of pressure on his desk going into the offseason. But yesterday, I'm not going to sit here and crush them because they didn't get a starter that appeared to be unavailable at the trade deadline. I'm not going to crush them, but you can understand my, understand my skepticism and frustration that they didn't. Yeah, nobody got moved. But it's because teams weren't willing to pay the price to make those players move. We don't know that. 
We do, though. If Seattle really wants a Nolan Gorman, Seattle came out publicly, their general manager did, and said, we are not trading our young pitching, period. Chicago they White did. Sox three weeks ago said, we are not trading Dylan Cease. I know, and then this was two a- days ago. He said, we think this is our identity. We are not trading from our, our young pitching because that is how we will compete this year and going into next. Now, that could trade change in the offseason. Their tune could totally change. But not getting one of the Seattle pitchers yesterday had more to do with Seattle than it did to do or had to do with the Cardinals. Okay, but take Seattle out of it. I'm just using them as an example. But you could have accomplished what you needed to accomplish or at least shorten that list by being aggressive at the tra- at the trade deadline. And what you didn't do was be aggressive. Now, you but made the right know moves. That. But we do know that because we, we don't. No, I, we do. I think the Cardinals absolutely had conversations with teams about cost-controlled starting pitching. And we don't know why that didn't get done. It very well could be the other team said, Mo, listen, we like the offer that you're giving us right now. We can't do this right now because we're trying to contend. And if we trade away this starter, we don't have the innings filled right now. And we don't want Jack Flaherty. We like our guy better than Jack Flaherty. Or we like our guy better than Jordan Montgomery. And so I understand, like, maybe Mo wasn't aggressive enough. And he wasn't willing to include Nolan Gorman or Lars Newbar or Brendan Donovan, who, by the way, just had surgery yesterday. I'm guessing teams didn't want him for the rest of the year. Like, maybe that's true. Or maybe these teams didn't want to trade their stud young pitchers during the season and would be more likely to do so in the offseason. I think the latter is more likely that's to be fine. true than the former. And welcome to my skepticism of this Cardinals team going into the offseason when teams call and say, hey, we know we started the conversations about this individual player, Brendan Donovan, Nolan Gorman. Let's talk about this again. And then Mo gets to the point, well, eh, maybe not so much because they had a good end of the season for us and we're not really sure how we're going to go about this. So let's let's table this and talk later. And then that team goes elsewhere and makes the trade of the player that you wanted. And then now you're sitting there with nothing saying, well, now we got to go to free agency and we're not willing to spend $80 million. If you would have found a way to accomplish, and I get that nobody was moved. Maybe nobody was willing to move those types of players, but I would have tried to be more aggressive in that front to where at least it was, Hey, Cardinals and this team are nearing a deal, but it fell through. I, I just don't look at this task right now for John Mosellock and company and say, Oh, well, if you look at their track record, they can accomplish something like this in the off season. Totally fair. You should have started that checklist. It didn't even need to be a starting pitcher. Maybe you find somebody who's got legit stuff for your bullpen, or at least add a couple of bullpen arms for 2024. You didn't do that. You added guys that could be in your bullpen. You added a ton of coulds yeah. and not woods yeah. and you need woods. And that, and that was the that was the big thing for me was when I look at what they did. What was the whole thing that we said Carrie, for like my the, personal favorite wood? The Carrie wood. Do you have a favorite? Miles wood. Okay. Miles wood. T bone. Who's Miles wood? Look it up. I'm, Do you have I? a favorite wood? My nine uh, woods pretty good. I'm not good with the nine. No. No. Three wood sometimes, but I'm it's got to be on the three wood. Got to be on the flat. Alex three wood might that. be my okay, best. Even, go ahead. The nine wood was. The, I don't even remember, the, remember what we were talking about. We were talking about golf. No, uh, we're talking about wood right now, man, and you need it. No, but the thing, the thing for me with the Cardinals was, what did we talk about for a month, a week, three weeks leading up to the deadline? They had to jumpstart the off season, and I don't think they did that at the deadline. I, I think this was kind of just their typical business of. We're sellers. We're selling pending free agents, and, and I tend to agree with Alex. Of I, I maybe there weren't arms available, but I don't think the Cardinals really pushed a team in to force them to make them available. And what I mean by that is, and I think this is more 
this is where I think the criticism falls in and the reason that I probably point the blame more so at, not, I don't want to say more so, but I do put blame on the Cardinals in the front office is I saw the list that kept coming out of the guys that they don't want to trade. I saw the list of the guys that became unavailable for the St. Louis Cardinals to where even if there was a cost control arm available, like the White Sox listening on Dylan Cease, and look, that package probably would have been huge, so I can understand also, it. he wasn't moved. I know, but uh, he was listed as available. But again, the sounds like the package was going to be astronomical to go and acquire mm-hmm. him. The thing that I have the issue with is I think the Cardinals, going into these trade conversations, weren't willing to part with a quote-unquote big piece. I, I don't think they wanted to give up any of their cost-control position players that they really like. And I, I think that's where my criticism is, is I think they probably, I don't want to say probably, I think there was an arm to be had somewhere. I think the problem was is the conversations they had, they just turned away and said, oh, you want Nolan Gorman? Yeah, no, we're not moving Nolan Gorman. Okay, what about Lars Newpar? No, we're not moving Lars Newpar. Brendan Donovan's a different conversation because he did have season-ending surgery, but prior to that, he was a guy that was in the conversation to where they just kept adding on names to this untouchable list when yeah. I'm with Alex to where it was, I there shouldn't have been this long laundry list of guys that were unavailable because of the position you're in. You need an aggressive move, and I don't think you jump-started the offseason. Someone just said, Tanner and Alex, what I basically hear you saying is you wanted the Cardinals to overpay just to get something done at the trade deadline. No, I'm, By wh- the way, I'm in favor of that. What they I, should do that in the offseason. They, they're going to have to overpay for what whatever What I wanted them to do was jump the market. You talked a lot about jumping the market for the Cardinals. Yep. And what you just did was say, well, nobody was really available. We couldn't really get a deal done, so we'll go into the offseason and try and make a trade. For top-end starting pitching that other teams are going to be saying, well, yeah, we want that too. And that's where things get ugly for the Cardinals. Because what I do know about the Cardinals is when it gets into a bidding war, whether it's about money or players, they back out of it. Because they don't want to pay the hefty price to get that deal done. Whereas at a trade deadline where teams are buying and maybe teams aren't willing to part with the MLB experience for those types of players on another side you're the team that could sit there and say, yeah, we'll do that because we need this and you need this. Here's my, my the one thing that I do think needs to be said here. One, they added more ammo to be able to make these moves that you guys are talking about at the trade deadline. Whether we like the moves that they made or not, we've seen teams do this. The Brewers just did it last year where they acquired talent at the trade deadline and then they flipped that talent in the offseason that they acquired at the deadline in order to get William Contreras, who's been a really good player for them so far this year. Cardinals could absolutely do something like that in the offseason. And then the secondary thing that I would add to that conversation is this. Any player that you wanted them to acquire the deadline, every single one of them, not named Aaron Savali, they can still do in the offseason. Because if you wanted Dylan Cease and he was potentially made available at the deadline, guess what? He's still going to potentially be made available in the offseason. I wanted a guy like uh, Clark Schmidt, right, who I think will be a perfectly fine fourth starter. You know who's probably going to be, be available in the offseason because he's a fourth starter? Clark Schmidt. You know who might be available during the offseason? Any of those Marlins starters. You know who's more likely to be available in the offseason when the Mar- Mariners can replace those young starters with other guys that are hitting the market? Probably one of their young starters. Like, instead of them having to replace one of their young starters right now with who knows what, because there wasn't a whole lot of pitching available on the market, the Mariners could then say, you know what, okay, so we're trading, let's call it uh, Logan Gilbert for Nolan Gorman, a cost-controlled young position player, right, that they need desperately. And then we're going to replace Logan Gilbert by going out and signing Sonny Gray. That's something that could absolutely happen in the offseason and is a hell of a lot more happen or more likely to happen in November than it is to happen in early August. So I'm going to wait because I actually think they might have made a bad move by getting out in front of this at the deadline by not waiting. It could have become 
what they did with the Marlins, where they didn't wait, and they ended up, instead of getting Christian Yelich, getting a guy that was climbing the wall in left field and not able to throw. Instead of getting uh, one of the other big-time superstars that you were looking for at the deadline, they go out and they settle. Instead of last year waiting for the Sean Murphy price to drop, going out and paying the money for Wilson Contreras. I like that they waited a little bit to see what opens up for them potentially during this offseason. Then I would tell Cardinals fans, prepare for this offseason when John Mozeliak says, well, we tried to get that top-end starter via trade or free agency, but the cost was too much for us, and we had to take a step the other way. If they do that... You should all criticize the hell out of them and you should stop listening to anything that they say because then they will do another about face for the second offseason in a row. But I cannot criticize them yet for something that they have not yet failed to do. I can criticize them for off seasons past where they failed to do things that they said they would like last year where they said they were going to improve uh, up the payroll and then didn't. But I cannot criticize them just yet for failing to get the cost-controlled starter that was not apparently available at the trade And there's no criticism from me because I think they accomplished what they wanted to accomplish at this deadline. It's more skepticism for me. And, and I, that's totally I fair. we got to get to Keith like Law, prospects writers for The Athletic. He's joining us coming up next here on 101 ESPN. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. The trade deadline has come and gone, and there's no better place to go than right now to the 101 ESPN hotline to talk to Keith Law, the baseball writer for The Athletic. He's been breaking everything down over at The Athletic. You can find all of his work at on Twitter, at Keith Law. Keith, we appreciate the time, as always. Uh, the Cardinals did a lot of selling over the last couple of days, but it was all for rentals, and so, of course, the return for those is going to be suppressed. When you saw what the Cardinals were able to accomplish at this year's deadline, what was your overall grade or reaction to what they were able to get? Yeah, I, I don't think they did great. I don't think they did horribly, but I think they... You know, I, I feel like they probably should have gotten more in total, um, particularly I would say for the Jordan Montgomery trade, I would say of everything, that was the one where I was probably a little most uh, disappointed in the return, given how effective he's been, what some of the prices were we were seeing for some other starters getting traded and just the general scarcity of anybody who's, you know, especially left-handers who were better than Montgomery in this market. I just think in general, uh, the Cardinals may have missed some opportunities to trade guys who weren't rentals also. You know, the idea that we're just not trading Nolan Arenado. I mean, I understand Nolan Arenado is a tremendous player. He might have been the most valuable player in the National League last year. But you're not winning this year. And if you can put him out there and get a package of players that makes you better for the next several years, you have to at least consider those possibilities. And it seemed like they just wrote that off entirely 
before even getting to the point of fielding any legitimate offers for him. Keith, the uh, conversation that we were just having on the show prior to us calling you was the discussion of John Moselak not finding the ability to acquire a pitcher that can plan into their rotation for 2024. Other than Savali, those guys really weren't traded. But when you look at the Cardinals and what they have on their team, are you surprised that they weren't more aggressive at the de- uh, the deadline? Well, more aggressive how? Do you mean more aggressive in trying to go get pitching for next year or just more aggressive in terms of selling players off? More aggressive in trying to get pitchers for next year. Yeah, I I, I would push back a little bit on that idea. I mean, I, I feel like you know I bring these up this team up because they're sort of local, right? If you look at how the Royals have historically approached a lot of these trade deadlines, and I'm going back you know, even 15 years to the Dayton Moore era, they always said, well, we just need this. We need pitchers and catchers, so we're just going to try to get those guys. Instead of getting the best returns in trades, they would try to focus on very specific categories of players, and I think in general that didn't work out for them. You have to accept that you may not get exactly the package that you're looking for, exactly the, the categories of players you're looking for. Your goal in any trade situation like this where you're trading major league players for prospects, you just get the best package you can overall. And honestly, that would probably more be position players for me than pitchers anyway because of the higher degree of certainty that we do see with position players. So I'm not saying I would never take a pitcher, but I would always lean towards adding the position players. If you end up in a situation where you have a surplus of, of good young position players, then you can try to package them then together to go get more established pitching, especially when you're in a contending window again. It's interesting, Keith, because I think the Cardinals did exactly what you're talking about, where they just wanted to add as much pitching depth as they possibly could, and specifically close to the major leagues pitching depth. Do you think that that focus on upper level pitching is what ended up maybe decreasing some of the value in in somebody's eyes like yourself? If that's what they did, then sure. Yeah, I could believe that. Um, you know, I look at the return for Jordan Hicks where Sam Rober says, I've always liked him as a prospect. I think he's really interesting. Uh, he's also more interesting because he's actually Dutch. Um, we've had very few truly Dutch-born and raised players in Major League Baseball. But he's he's not there. He's close to the majors in terms of where he's pitching, but certainly not in what's coming out of his arm. He could not come and pitch in a major league rotation right now. Adam Klofenstein, I think the only thing he's got going for him is that he's in double A, but I don't actually think he's very good. Uh, and I don't see any way he's contributing to this major league club. Certainly not this year, probably not next year, except maybe in a limited relief role. And so if that was their philosophy, and I, I don't know the answer, but if they were just going for proximity to the majors, then, yeah, they probably did leave some ceiling on the table. The one exception of all the arms they got was Takoa Roby, who I think they may have gotten him, and I like his acquis- that acquisition, they may have gotten him at the right time because he's coming back from a minor injury, and it might have made him more available than he otherwise would have been. Keith, you mentioned position players, maybe over pitchers at the deadline, and the Cardinals did acquire two infielders, which is an intriguing situation for this team where they already have a lot of infielders at the major league level. How do those two infielders that they acquired fare into the Cardinals play over the next year? Well, you know, I really liked, um, I like Sajace probably the most of the guys they got coming back. 
I think they're going to have to ultimately determine what his best position is. We know shortstop is Mason Wins. I don't know exactly when. Maybe that's tomorrow. Maybe that's before the season. About two out. weeks, Keith, is what it sounds yeah. like. <laughs> okay, perfect. That works for me. I am a huge Mason Wynn guy. And I mean, that 2020 draft from the Cardinals is going to be one of the greatest draft classes we've ever seen a team have. I uh, So you plan around win. Maybe Jason was second. Maybe he moves to third. That kid just keeps getting better. And I will fully acknowledge I may still be underestimating him because he has improved so much over the last 15 months or so. I saw him in April of last year and thought, I mean, this is just a nice extra infielder, maybe nice little player. And he just kept getting better, stronger, better eye at the plate. Even shows up this year, even stronger than he was at the end of last year. So he's on the right trajectory. I mean, as much as I say I didn't love the Montgomery trade for them overall, it also did bring back, I think, the two best prospects they got in the deal. So at least relative to what else they did, I mean, at the deadline, at least relative to what else they did. That did return the, 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 again, I think the two most interesting guys. We're talking to Keith Law here on 101 ESPN. Find all of his work over at The Athletic, and you can follow him on Twitter at Keith Law. Uh, Keith, you mentioned how a couple of the guys that are maybe in terms of proximity to the big leagues, they're, they're close, but they maybe not close to like actually pitching in the big leagues in a meaningful way. Who do you think could be close to the big leagues? Like who could be a part of the Cardinals, whether it's their rotation or their bullpen as soon as next season in your mind? Well, I think you'll see Roby uh, appear in the big leagues. I think you'll see Drew Rahm, who was part of the Flaherty trade, appear in the big leagues at some point next year. Uh, Klaffenstein, I mean, I don't know what they see in him. I'm not. I, I saw Klaffenstein at the end of last year and said, I don't, I don't know that this guy ever pitches in the majors. He's been a little better in 2023, but he's also repeating the same level he was at last year, so I'm pretty skeptical. But if they see something... Maybe they think he can come up and work out of the bullpen and be more effective in a limited relief role. Maybe get some of his velocity back. I think those guys will appear in the majors next year. I don't. I would not bet on any of them being real contributors next year. Even though I like Roby somewhat for the long term, I don't think he's going to come in and be a third starter for them next year. Maybe not a fourth starter. I think these are guys who come up and maybe get their feet wet maybe struggle a little bit out of the gate and that their real value is somewhere further down the road. Explain Drew Rom to me like I'm for uh, Keith, because I see the, the this write up of, okay, he throws 88 to 90, but he's getting a ton of strikeouts down in the minor leagues. And it just, it doesn't compute in my head. Can you explain him a little bit to us that haven't watched Drew Rom regularly? Well, a lot. I'm not, and I think Drew Rahm is a reliever. Um, I know he's been a starter. He does miss bats. He also gets hit pretty hard. He does not really have much of a breaking ball. He is a fastball changeup guy with a good bit of deception. Obviously, having a good changeup can help your fastball play up as well. And the Cardinals have particularly, in, in a couple of spots in recent years, gone after some of these guys with unusual deliveries, particularly what they call the low approach angle or low attack angle. They took Cooper Jerpy in the draft in 22, which I thought was a a huge reach. Um, And his arm slot and the deception of his delivery was a major reason for that. The third guy they got in the Flaherty trade, Zach Showalter, another guy with one of those lower arm slot, low approach angle, very tough for team side hitters. They seem to think that's an opportunity for them. That's something they should be targeting. And it looks like, now that's you know, two guys at this trade deadline. I mentioned Jerpy. There's some other guys kicking around the system. It seems like that's something they're particularly going after. I also think the hitters tend to tell you how effective that is. And sure. in Rom's case, 
yeah, he gets strikeouts. He also gives up a lot of hard contact, and the lack of a breaking ball is going to be a serious, serious problem for him being anything more than a one-inning reliever. Keith Jumma, Zalak talked to yesterday post-trade deadline. Now that everything's accomplished and the dust is settled about how they do have some big tasks in the offseason, whether it's via trade or free agency, I want to hone in on the trade. Looking at the Cardinals and what they acquired and what they have, do you see this team having the necessary assets to go out there and acquire a top-end pitcher in the offseason? Without knowing exactly who's available in trade this offseason, there's definitely some pitchers who are pretty good who are heading for free agency. Um, the Cardinals just traded one of them, actually, in Montgomery. They could always re-sign him. Uh, I think the answer is yes, particularly since they seem to I – mean, you guys would probably know this better than I would, but for whatever reason, they seem to be willing to deal Dylan Carlson. And I don't know why they've soured on him as much as they have. I'm pretty sure there's 20 teams in baseball would very be very, very happy to have Dylan Carlson on their roster while he's still, I don't even think he'll be eligible for arbitration. He is, or he might be first-year eligible. He's going to make no money. Of course teams want that guy. So if they package him together with one or two prospects currently in the system, decent prospects, and they have us quite a few, maybe even one or two of the guys they just traded for, yes, I believe they could go get a you know whoever the best pitcher is available in the trade market this winter. I believe the Cardinals could be competitive for that guy. They definitely have enough if they're willing to include one player off the major league roster. I think the Carlson thing is just a, it's an unfortunate part of where they're at Keith, because they have had so many of these outfielders that they have held on to over the years that, I mean, now you're looking at it and it's like, okay, Donovan's probably going to be an outfielder for you regularly. They really like Lars Newbar. They've got uh, Jordan Walker. So there's, there's only so many spots to play out there every day. And with his splits, especially against right-handed pitching uh, there, there's just, not an obvious position for him here. And when you have a scenario like that, I think their perspective is it makes more sense to flip him for a pitcher than it would be to have him as like a fourth outfielder that starts against lefties going into next season. Whether that's right or wrong, I don't know. But Mm -hmm. I think that's the perspective that they have on him. Excuse me. It would feel like they were selling very low in that case because I don't think he's a platoon back going forward. I think he's got the best, most upside of all those guys you mentioned, except for Jordan Walker. He's, he's in his own category. But Jordan Walker is the one guy where it's, it, he's, he's got a starting role for the next six years, right? We're not worried about him. Newt Barr is a part-time player. Donovan's a part-time player. They have hung on to Tyler O'Neill. He's a part-time player at best. Carlson's a chance for a regular. Now, if you're trading that guy in a package and it gets you a number two starter, okay, that's fine. I'm completely on board with that. I was really worried we would be having this conversation after the trade deadline, and they had dealt Dylan Carlson for, uh, you know, a, a part-timer, or a reliever, nowhere near enough return. So I guess I should say I'm glad that they did hold on to him rather than selling him at what is probably the lowest point in his value since he got to the big leagues. Keith, we'll get you out of here on this. You've been super generous with your time. We always appreciate you joining, especially after a busy time like this at the deadline. I, I did want to ask you about the Cardinals rotation. They've got three spots to fill in it uh, going into next year is what the expectation is right now. Uh, what I wanted to ask you about is that number five spot. Do you believe that the Cardinals have anybody in their system right now, whether it's Liberator or somebody else, that could reasonably be written in as the number five starter going into next season? You know, it could be Liberator if uh, he's got a big adjustment he's got to make where he's got to either change something about the fastball or just stop using it so much. All his secondary stuff is better than the fastball. He's getting crushed on the fastball when he comes to the big leagues. Uh, But I would actually bet, if you're asking me who is the fifth starter out of someone in the system, I'd probably say Graceffo is the most likely, and then – 
I'm not sure if I'd say McGreevy before Liberator. I was always a big Liberator guy, but we saw him again this year. He's not making that adjustment. Like This is not working. You have to change something. So I don't know that I want to just say once again, oh, I think Liberator will figure it out. It's, it's possible that McGreevy, even with less upside, just because he's such a command guy and you can at least count on him to come up, should be able to count on him to come up and throw strikes, they might be more inclined to give him the chance if Graceffo, um, who, who is a legitimately strong prospect of projects as a mid-rotation guy down the road, if he, for whatever reason, can't grab and hold on to the fifth starter spot. Do you think they should be calling up McGreevy now to go ahead and find that out before they get to the offseason? Um, I don't see a lot of downside with that. With position players, you might want to play a, a little service time game. I don't love seeing teams do that. But with pitchers, like are, you know, who's smart enough to tell me that this pitcher, Mike McGreevy, is going to mark? He's going to be healthy and effective yeah. six years from now. Oh my God, just call him up. Right, <laughs> we're, we're lucky if we can keep these guys healthy for three years. Call all these guys up one by well, Libertor you've seen obviously, but call Graceffo up. Call McGreevy up. Let them take a couple turns in the rotation. Let the coaching staff get to know them. Let major league hitters tell you what they need to work on. There's real truth in that. If it, if something isn't working, the hitters are going to tell you very quickly. And I like these guys as prospects, but most pitchers who come out of the minors are not finished products. You have to bring them out to the big leagues and let them take their lumps a little bit. You can head into the offseason with a new plan for each of those guys. Here's what you need to work on to be in our rotation next year. Keith, we always appreciate the time. Thank you so much for hopping on with us today. We'll be reading you over on The Athletic and following along on Twitter as well, at Keith Law. Thanks so much, and get some sleep now that the deadline is over, my friend. <laughs> my, my pleasure. You Bye. got it. That's Keith Law joining us. We always appreciate his time here on 101 ESPN. Some interesting stuff there, Alex. I totally agree with his perspective on McGreevy there at the end in particular. I, I think he should be – we'll talk about this more in the 12 o'clock hour. McGreevy should be making the start tonight. I think he should be up right now and getting that opportunity instead of Dakota Hudson. This is no slight against Dakota Hudson, but we know who he is. He was an ace for you at one point, Alex. That's true. Now he's not. <laughs> now he's probably going to be non-tendered Boy, in the offseason. Even I am on board with that <laughs> that train that you just said. I would also like to see like any of these guys that you think maybe can contribute to you in 2024. Man, bring them up and put them into this bullpen. What's the opportunity cost? Who are you sending down that you're worried about not getting opportunities? Let's James Dale, of course. Exactly. Let's go through the purge of this uh, 40-man roster and guys that are up here because I can cut about seven or eight guys off of it. I understand that the 40-man is super important and they want to make sure that everything is uh, clean and tidy going into the offseason. Man, these guys that are actually going to meaningful ma- meaningfully matter for you next year, go ahead and find out now what they can do for you. So that, I, I like what Keith Law had to say there. I also found it to be interesting that he said the Cardinals have what it would take to get that number one starter, number two starter, front end starter, however you want to classify it, going into the offseason if they are aggressive enough to go get that. And he guy. said one of the position players on your major league roster and prospects. Yeah. And that and that's pick your poison. And that's going to come down to how high of a ceiling do you want in the return of that major league pitcher? Do you want a guy who's probably at best a two or do you want a guy who's at best a number one ace? Because that's the level of prospect that you're going to trade. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. We'll get to Katie Wu coming up at the top of the hour. Questions and answers is next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe it's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 
is the air comfort service tax line for questions and answers. Alex, let's start with this from the 314. Guys, if you could only bet on one player that the Cardinals added at the deadline to have a significant impact on the Cardinals in their career, who would it be? I'll go with Roby. Just because of the upside that he's got, and if it sounds like at least that's what Keith said, a minor injury, I'll say Roby's the one that's impacting it. I'm going with the infielder they acquired in that same deal. I, I think he's got more upside. So Roby, little T, yeah, little T. Just um, so JC. Um, I I have concerns with Roby and the injury, and that's why I I think it's he's the guy that if he wasn't dealing with a shoulder issue and hadn't had an elbow sprain a year or two ago, that I would have. He would probably be number one, but because of that, and Keith Law wrote up on Little T that he has a potential to be a four-war player, and he's got some pop in his bat and can play the infield. I think he's the guy that impacts the club more. Little T is my answer as well. He's such a classic Cardinal. No batting gloves, can play all over the place, and has a hit tool that everybody raves about. So I'm going Little T. Thomas Sejaci is my guy that I think is most likely to have a significant impact on the Cardinals in his career. From the 314, guys, do you agree with Keith Law that Newtbar, O'Neill, and Donovan should be considered part-timers? And if that's the case, what are we doing? We definitely need to see some major changes. I do not. Um, I think... Newtbar and Donovan have proven themselves to be major league regulars. Now, the upside on both players, I think you could argue it. I think Donovan's a really good baseball player, and I think he's a winning player on top of that. So I think he's an everyday player, period, and is leadoff hitter for a contending club. Newtbar's the one that I'm a little more skeptical on, but if he adds a little bit more power to his game, I think he can be a regular as well and, you know, bat third or Bat in the top six of your lineup and you're feeling fine. Did you just say bat him third? Yeah. He's been batting third for you. And, yeah, and how and, has that been going? Again, I said if he adds a little bit more power to his game, he's getting on base 37% of the time. He's batting 270. That's a really good player. So, yeah, I, I would bat him third, especially against right-handed pitchers. O'Neal, I, yeah, I think he's a part-time player. Like to manage against you. I think two of these three are part-time players. One of them is the everyday. Donovan's the everyday player for me, and I think Newt and O'Neal are fourth outfielders. I, I think Newbar's an everyday player, but I, I, I think he's a little overvalued right now because he just hasn't shown the power. Now, I would not hit him third. I would hit him one or two. I like the idea of the double on base up at the top of the order, but if he gets power, then yeah, he can be kind of one of those middle of the order bats, but I, I think he kind of fits in the everyday because one, he does have one great skill, which is getting on base, and he's also a really good outfielder defensively when you put him in a corner, not so much in center field. Alright, last thing here. We'll get to this real quick from the 314. Guys, if you guys had to place a bet to day not taking into account the odds don't worry about that but who would you bet to win the world series this year i would go with the braves yeah, i think they're the, the favorite but i would go with the braves that i think would i'd go team. braves or astros i think the braves have the easy i think it's easier to get out of the national league this year than the american league so i like their path to the world series and i think they just have the best team overall yeah, especially if they're getting all these pitchers back i'll say the braves yeah I, I would probably say the braves as well just because i think they've got the best offense in baseball and their pitching's good now if they start dealing with injuries then i'll become a little bit more skeptical but that's the case for everybody what is the correct amount of skepticism on the cardinals offseason plans i think we're all on a little bit of a differing path there. What's Katie Wu think about that? We'll ask her next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Insiders 
insider for The Athletic. You can read all of her great work over at The Athletic, breaking down the Cardinals' moves over the last few days. She joins us now via the 101 ESPN hotline. Katie, we appreciate the time as always. It was great to see you down at the ballpark yesterday. How are you doing this afternoon? I'm doing well, squad. How are you guys? Really nice to see you in what was a crazy, crazy day for everybody yesterday. We're doing well, so let's get to it. What did you think of what the Cardinals did? And I I think what a lot of people are focusing on right now is what the Cardinals failed to do at the trade deadline. Sure. Um, You know, this is going to come across as as pretty friendly, so I want to preface this with I don't think we should be celebrating selling at the deadline. And I don't think that's what this organization is doing. Let's make that very clear. They should not a team that had the reign MVP, the second runner up and national league MVP, the expected division title, uh, repeat contenders. All of these things should not be selling at the deadline, but here we are. I thought given what John Mazalock set out to do publicly, he said, He wants to build a contending team for 2024 and also bolster the minor league system, especially upper-level pitching depth. He also said he was not going to be able to address all of those needs at the trade deadline. This was just the start. He didn't want to part with players under team control. He only wanted to part with players in their walk years, ideally, unless someone really became available. But that didn't really happen, this trade deadline. So he got rid, traded away five guys out of six, Drew Verhagen being the only one, on expiring contracts and got some pretty substantial minor league pitching depth in return. I think to look at it in a broad sense of terms, it was a good deadline for the Cardinals based on their intention and the position that they were in. So they also have a massive task now in the offseason, Katie, of acquiring three starting pitchers and fixing this bullpen. Do you have belief that John Mozeliak and company can accomplish that? Huge task in the offseason, and I, I hear fan skepticism in this regard. Uh, I think the front office knows they have to rebuild the trust with their fan base. Um, they were losing it progressively over the last few seasons, but because the Cardinals were able to win or at least make somewhat of a playoff push, all was forgiven temporarily, but let's keep in mind the Cardinals have not won a playoff series since, uh, or a playoff game since 2020 and have not won a playoff series since 2019. I, since being on the Cardinals beat, have never covered a postseason win. So that only does so much. And I totally hear the skepticism from fans who say, we expect this front office to go out and have this monster offseason when, A, they don't really want to trade away any of their team control talent. B, their track record in free agents contracts has not been good. And C, they don't spend. So I get why fans are like, oh, yeah. This Other is than that, great. though, Katie. Katie, you're speaking yeah, to my that, heart right fine. now. Um, it's totally justified, and things have to change. And if there is a silver lining, and I believe I've said this before, if there's a silver lining to just this awful season, it's that it's become very clear to the front office and ownership that things do indeed need to change. Now, whether or not they actually go out and accomplish these things this winter will say a lot, and I think we'll – will obviously dictate just how well this trade deadline went, right? Because hindsight's always twenty twenty. But I can see fans and why they would not be confident the front office can and ownership, because ownership does play a big role in the free agent spending, can pull this off. Katie, based on your reporting, what is your understanding of how aggressive the Cardinals were over the last couple of weeks in trying to acquire cost controlled pitching at the deadline? They certainly browsed around, but 
the asking price was so high, I think, because everyone was aware of the, of the Cardinal situation, how desperately they need starting pitching. That's going to change they in have the offseason to... for sure. Right, 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 right exactly. Cardinals never back <laughs> uh, away with offers are too massive. No, no, I hear you guys. I do. But I think there was an avenue for them to be uh, like conservative buyers, I believe was the term used yesterday. It just never came to fruition. I think the Cardinals feel like they can go over the offseason. There's a lot less stress and a lot less pressure to organize these trades over the offseason because you're not dealing with a looming deadline. And 29 other clubs frantically calling each other, trying to figure out the best deal. I think the Cardinals also need to use the next two months, and we can certainly get into this, what I'm going to be working on for the next couple of days on The Athletic, is over the next two months, they need to see what they have internally. And they also need to build up some trade value for these guys. We've talked a lot about the outfield logjam with Tyler O'Neill and Dylan Carlson. Um, I was listening to Keith Law explain selling low with Carlson in the earlier segment. He's completely right. Uh, same with Tyler O'Neill. The Cardinals couldn't trade those guys at the deadline, though Carlson did have some interest, because they want to build up their return or their value. So that's what the next two months are going to be. You need to see what you have in Matthew Libertor if he can finally make those adjustments. You need to see what you have in players like uh, the AAA prospects in Michael McGreevy, Gordon Graceffo, and, of course, Mason Wynn. The next two months are a trial run, not just for 2024, but in terms of what pieces they can move and feel comfortable moving over the offseason because it's clear they're going to have to negotiate both trades and free agency signings if they even want to be close to contending next year. Katie, just one more follow-up on those trades, and then we, I want to talk about kind of that, finding out what they have. What do those trades look like, just hypothetically for the Cardinals? Are, are we talking guys like Gorman, Donovan, Newtbar, if they're wanting to bring in those top-end starters? You're going to need at least one, probably two, because there just isn't a big, as we sit right now, it's hard kind of really to predict who's going to be available uh, via trade at this point. But just going off the, the basics that we know, it's going to take a lot because every team wants starting pitching. Every team wants an ace. There's not an ace on 30 MLB teams. There's an ace in like 10. So you're already dealing with such limited resources that, of course, the value is going to be high. And the teams want cheap, controllable talent. You want a Carlson. You want a Newt Bar. You want a Donovan. There's a reason the Cardinals want these players as well and don't want to give them up, right? So it's this like back-and-forth, sick mind game. The Cardinals have a lot of depth. It's hurt them on the field this year. They can use that depth off the field over the offseason to try to negotiate a trade that will help them next year. The, of course, though, as Cardinals fans know, the biggest concern is you don't want to trade away the wrong guy. And the Cardinals have done that in the past. But if you get the right return... Even if you you trade the the wrong guy, it could end up working out for you in that regard. Katie, I did want to ask you, you mentioned how you're going to be working on uh, the players that can help this team if they're called up and maybe you find out a little bit about what your future looks like. Mason Wynn certainly fits into that criteria. On the pitching side of things, who do you think are the most likely players that we're going to learn about in the final two months of the season that will help us to apply some sort of expectations for 2024? Well, currently, uh, Cardinals fans are going to get re-familiar with Dakota Hudson. He'll be slotting into the rotation. Yep. Uh, Matthew Libertor as well. This seems like Libby's final shot to show that he can adjust and make these changes that he just hasn't been able to do. But we talked about this before. Because he's no longer facing the pressure of fighting for a rotation spot, they have plenty of rotation spots right now. He can That will maybe help him feel a little bit more relaxed. He's no longer competing against himself that can go out there and just compete against the game. So we'll see that straight. I would imagine 
both Hudson and Libertor getting the starts going forward for the next couple of weeks. And then when we shift into mid-August, I can see people like Michael McGreevy getting the call up, Gordon Graceffo. And of course, you want them to be successful. But with the Cardinals, this is such, so unfathomable to say here in St. Louis. They're not playing for contention. We know that, right? When that 5 p.m. trade deadline hit, that was also the ding ending their season, essentially. Now, they're still going to go out there and try to build a competitive club. They owe that to the fans. They have an obligation to do that. But a lot of the games going forward are going to be just trial runs. So you need to see what you have in McGreevy. You need to see what you have in Graceffo. Uh Connor Thomas as well, I would expect. Jake Woodford will probably get some starts just for, um, just for length and to space out the rotation when he's healthy. But really, if you think about it, I was talking about this with a couple of players yesterday, What's the harm if you need to know what these guys are, can do in 2024 and what the expectations are? Why not bring them up now, have them play when the competition level and the pressure level is relatively low, and see what they have? It's better they fail now or learn to adjust now than be thrown in the fire for a team that has publicly said multiple times they're trying to win next year. Hell yeah, Katie. Katie, That's follow, what I'm talking follow about. up question, and I'm going to preface this by saying you know that you and I are, were, were the Dakota Hudson fan club last <laughs> season, but why do the Cardinals need to get reacclimated with Dakota Hudson? Don't we know who he is? <laughs> Um, I would think the Cardinals know at this point, but hey, he's in the organization, and this is the time to get everyone a chance. Um, I would ex- I would say it's just because I think the Cardinals want a little bit more time with McGreevy and Graceffo. I think it's going to be kind of a rotating rotation, if you will. You're going to see Miles Michaelis and Stephen Matz, and Stephen Matz has looked pretty good as of late. And then those three spots. You're going to have like three weeks where it's Hudson and Libby, and then maybe they filter someone out and give someone else a chance, like you get a McGreevy call-up or you get a Graceffo call-up. It will be a fluctuating rotation. It will be a fluctuating lineup. There will not be a lot of stability minus your uh, infield corners going forward. Katie, they're not going to tell me about how hard it is to manage this 40-man roster, and that's going to be the thing that limits them from making these decisions, right? I'm not going to hear any of that. You can't bring a Mesa win because of Taylor Motter. Um, I would I would sincerely hope that would not be an argument okay. or a reason that I hear okay. because I just don't think that there is I, I think we all know better than that. OK, good. Just making sure uh, just making sure we're all on the same page and that it's fair for me to be critical if that is a an explanation that we have. Ah, there's from. BK Absolutely. with that. I think we all will be. There's BK with that tone again, Katie. I, I just wanted Katie is an insider. She's done the reporting on this. I just wanted to make sure that I, I'm not being unfair because sometimes I am. Katie, we appreciate the time. As always, you've done excellent work breaking down uh, the trade deadline. Great reporting uh, throughout. And we will talk with you again next week. You got it, guys. Talk to you soon. That's Katie, Katie Wu, one of the best in the business. We always appreciate her joining us for an extra appearance this week here on BK and Ferrario. Alex, I, the biggest thing that I wanted to get there was kind of her perspective on where the Cardinals are at and where they view themselves being six months from now, right? And I think that everybody around the Cardinals right now feels the same way. And it all comes down to whether or not they're able to execute this plan. Because we all know what it's going to take. It's going to require them to pay money. It's going to require them to get rid of prospects this offseason to get that pitching that they're looking for. It's going to require them basically to do all of the things that they've never done before. Are they going to do it? Did they actually learn their lesson this year? Or did they learn the lesson of, hey, if we improve the bullpen, we'll be fine. Because that could be a lesson that you learn from this season. I've seen it on the text line already. Guys, they blew more saves than any team in baseball. If they just had a quality bullpen this year, they would have been fine. There's a case to be made there. I would disagree with it, but there's a case to be made. 
Is that the lesson they're going to learn? And they're going to bring in Sonny Gray and Rich Hill and another mid-tier start, James Paxton. Oh, or are they going to go out there, get super aggressive, make the trade for the cost-controlled starter, and then uh, pony up and pay whatever it's going to cost to get a legit front-end starter, an Aaron Nola, Blake Snell, the guy coming over from Japan. Those are the two potential outcomes of this offseason, and I'm genuinely fascinated to see which way they decide to go. I think it's the most interesting offseason I can remember in St. Louis. Well, we already heard the uh, sentence that I'm living deja vu with from the Cardinals. Well, the price was just too expensive right now. Where they won't say that in the offseason, where now you've got 15 to 20 teams bidding on that individual player. Ah, well, the price is just too expensive for us. So we'll wait and see what Rich Hill's doing in August. I do think there's one thing, by the way, I mentioned how this, this offseason is really interesting to me. There's There's been some interesting offseasons in the past, like last year. A really interesting offseason, compelling, because we thought, you know, maybe they'll go after one of these shortstops. I think the difference this time around is that in previous offseason, there was, you could talk yourself into an answer internally. Like at shortstop, they did have Paul DeYoung and Tommy Edmond. Now, we can think whatever we want about them, but they're, They're legitimate big league shortstops, right? Obviously, the Toronto Blue Jays felt that Paul DeYoung was a legitimate big league shortstop. You could make the case that you could could go into the season with him and be fine. Uh, We've seen in the past where uh, you looked at the the rotation last year. They had legitimate in-house candidates for the five spots in their rotation. This is the first time where they don't have any options. Like, you can't even convince yourself that you've got five starters right now. You can't even convince yourself really that you've got three. What are you talking about? Hudson, Libertor, Graceffo, McGreevy, Mats, Michaelis. I just named six. Again, you cannot reasonably convince yourself that you have maybe three. You have to add at least two starters this offseason, yeah. no matter what. And you have to add at least three bullpen arms, no matter what. That is the most activity I think we've known that we're going to see from the Cardinals in eight, ten years. I mean, it's been a it's, long it's, time since I can remember a team, the, the team needing to address this many different it, things in the offseason. It's probably the most moves since the Fowler-Cecil offseason, and that was two moves. <laughs> we're talking about five, potentially, maybe even six. Boy, they nailed and, that offseason. Yeah. <laughs> Woo! Uh, <laughs> but but that, that's why, like, I, I instead of seeing Hudson start tonight, like— to your question of you, can't, it's hard to look at and say what do you have in terms of like filling in that fifth spot. I mean, I don't think you can even go into the offseason going, all right. Well, we didn't see McGreevy, we didn't see Graceffo. All right, let's plan on him being number five. Yep. That's why I look at this start tonight from Hudson. I go, what the hell are they doing? Like, I know what he is. There's no chance he's back next year. Let's get to that on the other side. Dakota Hudson is starting today. How come? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Right now, Dakota Hudson um, will obviously get some starts and, and see how that goes. Um, could be some of these younger guys that we traded for that that may end up getting some opportunity. So, as you can imagine, I mean, this is like kind of a whirlwind few hours. I mean, like, I need like time to like think about roster, think about where it's going to be, what it's going to look like, and and then position it to to allow for that optimization of opportunity 
for some of these particular players. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. That was John Mosellock yesterday talking about which young guys could be getting opportunities as the Cardinals now transition into 2024 mode. Let's be honest. That's what the rest of this season is about. Now, to be very clear, Ollie Marmel is going to be trying to win these games. I promise you guys, Ollie is trying to win these games every single night. It is something that it's just in his nature. That's how he's going to operate. And I love it. it I, I do too. Like it's, it's really hard not to enjoy it when you talk with him and he's, he's genuine when he says like, I'm going out there to win every single game. The players, they're going to go out there to try to win every single game. Bad idea, man. Right, wrong, Got or indifferent. first overall pick in front of you. That is the goal. There's a lottery in, in a place this year. Guys, don't forget about that. Yeah, but you know how your percentages go down. The more you I win, know. the Blues lived that, man. I know. Yeah. Come on, Barubi. Blues hard for Bedard. But Moe's job is different than Ollie's job. Moe's job is to plan for next year. Ollie's job is to plan for today. And so today... The Cardinals have Dakota Hudson on the mound for them as the starting pitcher. Alex, this should be the last time that Dakota Hudson starts for the Cardinals in a Cardinals uniform. The reason why I say that is because we know what Dakota Hudson is, and it's not a shot against him, but he's not a legitimate major league starter. I think Ouch. You can- I think you can make a case at this point in his career. He was once upon a time. He was a really solid major league starter, back game starter. He's not that anymore. Maybe you could use him out of the bullpen, but I think the likelihood is he's probably non-tendered this offseason. The next time that Dakota Hudson is scheduled to start, I want to see either Michael McGreevy or Gordon Graceffo get that start. And honestly, I lean towards McGreevy. His results overall have been pretty good so far this year, man. He's got a 3.8 ERA and 16 starts in AAA. Now, he's a guy that pitches to contact. Opposing hitters are batting 295 against him this year at, at AAA. Let's find out what that looks like at the big league level. I don't know if it'll work or not. There's a real chance that because of the new rules, he's just going to be a guy that allows way too much contact, doesn't have the swing and miss stuff, and he becomes a Cardinals pitcher that they would have used a lot more in 2021 than they can use in 2024. I want to find that out now as opposed to finding that out in April of next year. So I think McGreevy would be the guy that I would go with there. And the reason why he's not starting today is very simple. Started on Sunday. He's on two days rest right now, so he wouldn't have been available. He's typically been going on four or five days of rest. So next time that Dakota Hudson is up to start, go ahead and skip his start down in AAA McGreevy and get the get him the next start that you currently have Dakota Hudson slotted for. Alex, how would you approach this? Yeah, I think for the rest of the season, there's two guys, frankly three, because Katie added the name Connor Thomas that I completely forgot about. There's three guys that I want to see multiple starts from from now until the end of the year, and it's McGreevy, Graceffo, and Thomas. And you know that Michaelis and Mats and Wayne are going to be getting those starts. So for those other two spots, just make it a revolving door of Libertor, Thomas, Graceffo, McGreevy. I don't need as much as I love Dakota Hudson, and I'll give him his eulogy if he's He's not a Cardinal over in the offseason, but I don't need to see that anymore. Saw it. I actually think Dakota Hudson wouldn't be worth, depending on what he's going to get in the offseason, as a bullpen arm because he looked good in the bullpen for you. But I'm not going to pay him five, six million dollars to be in my bullpen, which I guess you might have to. But he's probably going to get like four. Perfect. He gone. Put, Put him in the bullpen. I wouldn't. Yeah. I would. That's four million dollars I can save to go yeah. to our starter. Yeah. Well, we'll see where you spend I think you that. Drew Verhagen open arm for four million. Yeah. Let's yeah. go spend on Drew Verhagen. That'll work. Can I get another Chris Stratton? Because that's what he was. Probably not. Four guys. I, hell, I would take Chris Stratton. Like, forget the Chris Stratton type. I would just take. Chris I'm in Stratton. on that. I mean, right Dakota Hudson's pitched fine out of the bullpen for you. Yeah, like, Stratton's been better. Okay. Regardless, what you've got four guys for two spots, and 
every fourth and fifth day, those two out of the four are going to be getting starts. And frankly, and the other guys bring them up on the roster so that they can be around these guys and send them back and start and then come back in five days for the rest of the season. I don't know how many starts that would be, but I want to see every start two of those four guys. Yeah, I, I really want to see McGravy win. I, I agree with what BK said. Skip him his next AAA start and have him up here in Hudson's spot next time through the rotation because I, I want to see what he looks like. He's been able to be healthy in AAA. Graceffo had an injury, so I get if you want to give him more innings in AAA. That one I can understand a little bit more and give Libertor another shot in the rotation. And if Libby kind of flames out here by the end of August and you're like, you know what, it's just not working for him, then you go to Graceffo in September in that spot. But I, I want to see those three guys, Libertor, McGreevy, and possibly even Graceffo in this rotation this year. I would like to see Graceffo out of the bullpen, honestly. He's dealt with some injuries this year. He's got stuff that plays up. I wouldn't mind seeing Graceffo coming out of the bullpen. Yeah, I'm I'm okay with that too if you want to have him up here as well at the same time, and especially in September when the roster expands to 28. So I I just want to see these guys because I can can understand the thought process in the if the goal in the offseason is, okay, let's get two guys that help the front end of our rotation and let's go cost control. When I mean cost control, I mean cost and cheap in our system at number five. I get that as long as I see signs of that from those guys at the big league level this year. And I love what Keith said because this is my biggest advocate for calling up anybody right now in the Cardinal situation, whether it's a position player like Wynn or it's a pitcher like McGreevy. I want these guys to get up here to the big leagues and see what it is that major league hitters or major league pitchers are taking advantage of them so they have something going into the offseason going, okay, this is what I've got to be better at to succeed at the major league level. It's one thing to go, okay, I think I've got to be better at this so I can get to the big leagues. Coming off of a season where you just spend in AAA and you never get a cup of coffee in the big leagues, it's a whole other animal when you go into an offseason and go, okay, what is it that teams were able to get me out on, or what is it that major league hitters were able to do? Were they able to hit my fastball? Libertor knows that pretty well now at this point. When I look at Nolan Gorman as a position player, what happened for him? Okay, how are guys getting me out? They're getting me out on a high fastball up in the zone. What did he do? He was able to work on that, and the offseason was was better this season at that. So that's why I want to see all these kids, and and McGreevy especially. I want him, Graceffo, Libertor to continue to show opportunities to potentially put their name in as, you know what, maybe we can go with them as number fives going into spring training. Somebody on the text line said, you guys are forgetting about the opportunity that should be given to Zach Thompson in this rotation. I'm not, actually. What is Zach Thompson? Zach Thompson started nine games down in the minors for the Cardinals this year. He had an ERA above nine, and opposing hitters hit more than 300 against him. He had a whip under, like, one and a half is kind of what you hope to be. He was at two and a half. He is not a starting pitcher, guys. And I say this as maybe the president of the Zach Thompson fan club. I think he has been completely misused this year. Zach Thompson should be in the role that you saw from, like, a Dakota Hudson this year. He's a guy that comes out of the bullpen as a mop-up guy. Or you can use him in spurts, but it can't be back-to-back. Like, he's not your traditional bullpen arm, so it really limits your flexibility when he's out there. So I understand why they wanted to try it as a starter for Zach Thompson, but now it's time, and he's back up with a big league roster, to get him in those short spurts as a bullpen arm. Let's see what that looks like. Because he's got a good uh, curveball. His fastball, when it's right and when he has command of it, can play up pretty well in the big leagues. Those are his two pitches. They work best coming out of the bullpen. So I am not forgetting about him at all as a starter. I'm writing him off as a starter because I do not think that's the best role for him moving forward, especially now that you have so many alternatives to what he brings to the table. You just got too many other guys that are penciled in ahead of him now. So the best chance for Thompson to have a major league career with the Cardinals is to be a usable major league reliever. 
That that is his role for the Cardinals in twenty. And you need to identify who those guys are that you thought might be starters and probably are better off being relievers. Identify that now. Put them in that role for the rest of the season, so that you know Agreed. going to next year. All right, we've got five spots in our bullpen that are locked down. Let's address the others. By the way, somebody asked on this line, "Who are you guys taking off of the forty-man roster in order to make it work?" Uh, for the guys that you're placing on Pick because Graceffo, McGreevy, they both would have to be placed on the 40-man roster. I think it's very simple for me. Kyle Leahy would be DFA'd, and I would probably then DFA James Nail as well. Those would be well, the two guys. If you're done with Dakota Hudson, why wouldn't you well, just DFA correct, that? Correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, they've got four 40-man spots open right now. So well, one a couple of those of guys were would have been uh, Drew Rom that That's was right. added to the, the 40-man roster but as well. I thought there were King, two guys from the King Baltimore. Was the other King one. was as well. So they've got two open spots on the 40-man right a, now. I thought the other guy on the Baltimore deal was on your 40-man too. Uh, not that I'm aware no? of. Okay. No? Okay. I thought they said that two of the, uh, the guys in that Orioles deal were put on your 40-man. I don't believe so. Yeah, no, nobody else that I have seen here is on the 40-man currently. But King is, and then um, you were able to get the guy, Drew Rom, that is also on the 40-man roster right now. But those would, if you if you did have to open up the spots, which I'm not sure that you do or not, um, I would have to count them up right now, and that's not good radio. Uh, those would be the two that I would make. I, I would just see what that looks like. Um, Andrew Suarez is another guy that, like, if if necessary, you could make that move. Like, there's there's moves that they could make if they need to. DFA Suarez? When's his birthday? Because that's when T-ball. he'll get DFA'd. He just celebrated, I think. Oh, okay. <laughs> Too well, late. Deadline's good for passed. him. He's got a whole other but, year. Yeah, Su- Suarez is the type of guy that you probably could get through waivers. He's 31 years old, man. Yeah. And to your point, like there are multiple guys on the 40 man that if you had to create room, like, let's be honest, we could probably look at this 40 man now and go, all right, there's about 15 guys well, here that are, should be at least considered to be DFA. Somebody says DFA Modder. That's the move whenever you go ahead. Whenever or, Modder and Fermin are probably the moves of one or both of them whenever you bring up um, or Mason Wynn. Palacio or Moises Gomez that you're not using. Like, you got a ton of dudes yeah. that you're not using right now. Start DFA and some position players. You have some options. There is optionality. Time to optionality, purge. excuse me, As in the, the words of John Mosellock. The 40 man is a little too tight Hit right now. Hit the purge siren. Let's do it. Coming up next, 314-399-9646 is the ear comfort service text line. You give us two options. We will tell you which one is more likely to happen. Game we like to play called More Likely to Happen here oh. on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What's more likely to happen? They'll figure it out. BK and Ferrario's more likely to happen. Brought to you by Train Heating and Cooling. Visit traininfo.com. It's hard to stop a train. is the air comfort service text line for more likely to happen. You give us two scenarios. We'll tell you which one is more likely. By the way, to wrap up our conversation from the last segment, Cardinals do have three spots currently open on the 40-man roster. We mentioned three players that we would like to see on the big league club that are not currently here. Mason Wynn, Gordon Graceffo, Michael McGreevy. Boom. Three spots, three openings, ready to go. That's your quick T-bone three. (laughs) Is this going to fail like uh, the... the preseason stint that's all right great well, let's start with this guys more likely the cardinals trade for tyler glass now or one of the mariners starting pitchers Ooh. tyler glass now makes so much sense yeah, for the cardinals guys. more likely it's one of the mariners guys because cardinals ain't going to trade him with uh, tampa bay ever again oh i'm in on glass i now. would trade for tyler glass now like oh i that. would too but the cardinals are gonna be like yeah can't we can't do business with you anymore sorry 
I uh, I'd say more likely Tyler Glass now because he's only got one more here. I think is on his at like twenty million bucks too. Yeah, he is the ideal trade candidate actually. Yeah, because to sign one of the starters that you're going to go out there and get, you're going to have to give them big money over many years, and you're probably going to have to give up your second round pick because they were very likely qualifying offered. Tyler Glass now. You can just trade for him. And it's a one-year deal, so he's a rental, so he's not going to get a crazy significant return. Tyler Glass now is the ideal candidate for the Cardinals to trade for. And, by the way, he's really good. Yeah. Like, really good. He's been awesome since And really injured. Um, that's I mean, that's downside. every pitcher. Um, I, and, like, I, think, the Mariners I think if you acquire him in the offseason, you can QO him at the end of the year if you don't get a contract extension with him. I believe that is correct. And if that's the case, like, that's even better because then you may even get a second round pick if you were to lose him if you can't give him a contract extension or he takes a QO. I, I'm i in on Glass now, and I don't think he would cost a lot because he does have just one year left. He's not going to be at the same ilk as uh, Gilbert where it's like, okay, yeah, the package oh, starts yeah, yeah, yeah. with Nolan Gorman and Lars Newbar. He maybe Glass now probably just takes maybe one of those cost control guys, maybe not even that, and just prospects. Yeah, I don't think you're having to give up Gorman for him. I agree. I don't think that he should even be like I, I think in the a, conversation. I think honestly. a Carlson deal, might, like a Carlson for Glass now, might be what it would take. That feels with very raised with more, I would say. But if that's the kind of thing we're talking about, where it's a guy that's got cost control, but not like at the top of all your trade chips. I feel like Newt Bar is kind of the level that you're probably going to have to go to for him. I'd be would fine you with trade Newt Bar straight up Hell for Tyler yes. Glass now? I think you'd I have would. to you'd have to get an extension done if you're doing that. Yeah, but I don't know if Tampa would say you can talk to Glass now first to make. I mean, I, they probably they would. Probably but, would because then it increases um, the whole. Well, the Cardinals just get. need to get him here and I, let him see the city and yeah. the winning culture, and then he'll want to stay. I mean, we've got a free zoo. Who wouldn't want to be here? And for that? we're the best spot for frisbee golf. Is yeah. he a big frisbee? God, is he a frolfer? I don't know if he is. Is he not. a frolfer? Sure. We'll find out. He's a great actor. If he's actor not, he'll too. be a converted he's a guy. Great actor. Did you see yeah. him in Oppenheimer? He was great. And he was in uh, the Batman series, Batman Begins. Yeah, played Scarecrow. God, I've, now I've convinced myself that's the guy. He's going to be my Ross Colton this offseason. I apologize <laughs> to all of you. Tyler Glass now is officially thing. going to be that's the guy that I'm thing. going after. The problem is, is uh, you know, if we really like him, well, there's about yeah. checks knows 29 and other teams what? that don't like when him. When there's a bidding war, the price is too high for the Cardinals, so they'll back away from I mean, it. And the Rays have a history of trading for Cardinals outfielders. Someone said Moises Gomez will go to Tampa and become David Ortiz. Absolutely, he will do that. Bigger poppy. <laughs> All right, guys, more likely to happen. Mason Wynn wins rookie of the year, or Jimmy Snuggerud, when he becomes a blue, Ooh. wins the Calder Trophy. I just looked this up because I was curious. Troy Terry, people that don't know, signed with Anaheim 7x7, seven seven, scored 37 goals a couple of years ago. Jimmy Snuggerud basically looks like a Troy Terry. Built like him, doing the same trajectory of U.S. development team, then college, then the NHL. <laughs> I'll take a 40-goal score. All right, I'll play I'll play the guy, bad guy real quick for you, okay. T-Bone. I'll take it out of the way first. I think we should severely decrease our expectations on Mason Wynn. Oh, boring. And oh, well, welcome back, Buzz Killington. <laughs> I didn't know you came in. Remember how I said before the season, if Jordan Walker is like roughly a league average hitter, that's a really good first season for him in the major leagues. Jordan Walker is 5% above league average offensively right now. And he's going through right now what would be the worst stretch of his major league career. He's going through a bit of a slump right now. He has had a hugely successful offensive season. Jordan Walker has. I think Mason Wynn has even lower expectations next year. 250 hitter gets on. Ba- I think like Tommy Edmond on base percentage with very little 
slugging and a, like a 250 average is kind of what you expect. And then gold glove caliber defense with like plays that you have not seen from a Cardinal but shortstop how, in 15 how years. How much does that boost his rookie of the year candidacy if you're making those types of plays? Not enough. because Unless the Cardinals are like the best team in the National League and there are not a lot of other good players that are rookies next year, which I don't anticipate. I think there's going to be some good players around him that have much better offensive numbers. And let's be honest, much like with uh, the Norris Trophy. Calder what, Trophy. I know, but I'm talking about oh, the Norris. Oh, I got you. Okay. Should the defense matter more? Yes. Do the points get all of the coverage and therefore the best offensive defenseman is actually who wins the award? Yeah. That's who wins the rookie of the year typically. So I think it is much more likely that Snuggerer does because I think he's going to score a bunch of goals. Yeah, I, I think I'm with BK because I, I, I'm i not sure how well wins bat's going to translate to the big leagues. I think he's going to be a one of the best defensive shortstops in baseball the moment he gets called up. Agreed. And I think he's going to have some of the best pure speed in baseball. Like, he is a speedster. I just don't know how well his bat will carry. And I don't. I, I think for a guy to win rookie of the year, he also got to show signs of some significant power, and I just don't know if Wynn's got that. Like, look at Corbin Carroll. Like, he's going to win rookie of the year. I think he's probably going to hit, like, 30 bombs this year. So um, and, and steal, like, 50 bags. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I would say more likely it would be snugs because I, I think snugs is like what BK said has a chance to really be a goal scorer. We for talked them. about Jeremy Pena last year, right? A, a lot yeah. about what he did in his rookie season. Now he's, he's regressed this year a bit, but it's not all that dissimilar from what he did in his rookie year. Jeremy Pena last year, rookie shortstop for the Astros, really good season ended up being an unbelievable player in the postseason for the Astros hit 250, got on base less than 30% of the time. He did hit 22 home runs. I think what you expect from Mason Wynn is more of what we've seen so far this year from Pena, where he has 10 home runs on the season and has an OPS of 678. That that feels pretty similar to what I think that Mason Wynn should be expected to do next year. And if he's more, great. But I just set the bar low enough that it's reasonable yeah. to attain it. I, I think he's going to be right around there because I think he's going to be like right in between what Pena's rookie year was and what you're seeing from uh, Volpe in New York. Sure. Uh, and Volpe's been real bad to her, like, Cashman's job has been questioned because he didn't go get a shortstop. Um, so I, I think he probably falls right in between. I don't think he'll be as bad as Volpe. I don't know if he'll be as good as Pena. I think it falls right in the middle, which is probably about the numbers that you just read yeah. off for his rookie year. And that's pretty good. Like, yeah, if I told you right now, hey, you can have Jeremy Pena as your shortstop for the next 10 years. Every Cardinals fan will be like, yeah, let's sign up for that. He's no, I have a Mason win. <laughs> okay. But you know what I mean? Like if, if Mason win becomes Jeremy Pena, cool. That sounds great. He's a franchise caliber shortstop. Would you like to see more? Yeah. And over time, he could become that. We've seen what Mason Wynn's been this year. Over time, it's gotten better and better at AAA. But let's give it time. We'll see what it looks like uh, later on. T-Bone, do you have something? Yeah, more likely to be the next big trade ship for their team. Zachary Bolduc or Nolan Gorman? Whew. That's a good one. Uh, I'm going to go with... Bull Duke, and I think it happens next offseason. I think Bull Duke's the guy that when the Blues are ready to contend again, they use him to get a winger that they want to be in their top six as part of a package that's bigger. I actually think I'm going to go the other way and say Gorman just because the Blues are going to move on from Verona this season and Bull Duke will, re- will replace that and Snuggerud will be one of those depth pieces that starts in the AHL and gets a shot and the Nolan Gorman side of it, I, you have other infielders, not with the same pop, 
but you can look at that and say, okay, we have somebody to fill that spot. I don't know if the Blues will say internally we have somebody that will fill Bolduc's spot. Unless Snuggerud has an incredible year, then then I can see the Bolduc thing happening. Yeah, I I asked this question and I don't even know who to answer because it's I, a tough one. I think I would go Bolduc because I think the Cardinals do like Gorman. And I don't though his name hasn't popped up in reports as being an untouchable. I think he's viewed as an untouchable, and it just hasn't been reported or leaked. I, I think with Bolduc, I've gotten the sense that the Blues were, and again, this could change with his camp, but I got the sense that the Blues were really let down by his camp last year to the point where it is maybe we sell high on him because Snugs has already passed him in the depth chart. So I would probably lean towards Bolduc. It's a really good question and something that I think we should do a segment on later. What on garners you more in return Ooh. is the bigger question. Oh, Gorman. Gorman's yeah. done at the big league level. Mm-hmm. Gorman is the guy that every team dreams on. 40 home run power, left-handed bat. Like, the Cardinals should never trade Nolan Gorman. Never. He shouldn't even be in a conversation. Like, I told you guys, Dane Perry wrote about him recently, and the names that were listed with Nolan Gorman in terms of the power that he's shown at this age are all, like, future Hall of Famers or current Hall of Famers. Gorman has that kind of potential. But they're desperate. And so every team in Major League Baseball, just like at the deadline, as Katie Wu said, is going to know that the Cardinals have a serious need in their rotation. And when they talk to them, they're going to say, we know what you need. We want Nolan Gorman. And the Cardinals are going to have to decide if they're willing to give up a player like that to get what they need. To put this into context and what's wild about this, I just thought of it. I mean, trading Gorman is like what we've talked about in the past of you're trading Jordan Cairo away. Like yeah. when the Matthew Kachuk rumors were there, like you're trading Jordan Cairo and you don't want to trade a 40 goal scorer, a potential 40 goal scorer, but look at what you're getting in return. I don't want to trade Nolan Gorman, 40 home run guy, but what if you get in return something that you haven't had since Chris See, Carpenter? That, Great point. That, and that's what I think makes this even tougher was like when Cairo's name was in the Kachuk conversations. I mean, it was kind of easy to look at to where it was like, is Cairo going to sting by let him go? Yeah, but I'm pretty confident Kachuk getting a Kachuk is Kachuk's a unicorn, and I know I'm getting a better player. It's almost the thing though, with Gorman is like you're trading for a pitcher that could break at any moment. I was about to say it's more like a goalie. Like if the Blues had a goalie issue, it'd be <laughs> like it'd be like if Toronto traded William Nylander for a goalie this offseason. Yeah. Where you're like, I I totally understand Connor why Hellebuck. you would do that. Yeah, but it. It, it's such a desperation move that could backfire. There's such a massive risk involved with making that kind of a move because goalies are fickle, just like pitchers could break like that. But Last I can't, year, Sandy Alcantara was the best pitcher in the major leagues. This year, he's been league average. But I can't ish on a team that's willing to be that aggressive when you know you're deficient in one area. And yeah, yeah you're swinging the pendulum one way, but again, you did this to yourself. Yep. And see, I, I think what makes it different about the pendulum swing is it's not like Gorman is the only other bat next to Goldie and Arnado. Like right. That's where the conversation cha- would change for me. Final question, really quick here. More likely the Cardinals end up trading for Logan Gilbert or signing Rich Hill this offseason. <laughs> I'm going to say it's more likely they trade for Logan Gilbert because you cannot justify signing Rich Hill when you've been saying we have to change our model. Yeah. No, you can't. No, you bleeping can't. Oh, watch him. Oh, I know. <laughs> I'm just watch saying. Do it. Let me rephrase. You shouldn't. They I, should do both of these things, by the way. I have no problem with Rich Hill as your number five starter oh, next year. Is that guy still going to be pitching next year? He, he said today he's planning to pitch again next year. Good for him. Who's, uh, who's going to no, make it? Should a not lo- bring him back. They should not bring him in. Who's going to make it a longer career, Rich Hill or Jamie Moyer? Moyer pitched like he was 49. 
Rich Hill is 43 right now. Jamie Moyer pitched until he was 49. I was going to say, he Rich Hill is forever. not making it until 49. No. You, would, you would not take Rich Hill next year? No. No. As a number five starter, no. if it was like Two. no money at all? No, Two. because I, I see how Father Time just goes like this for a guy like that. You can that. make five million bucks. Yeah, but you can uh, DFA him the uh, moment again, that it goes south if one of your young guys I, is good. Wayno is a guy that I look at and go, look how quick it went for Wayno. It could do the exact same thing for Hill. And, and I get you it. DFA him. I it's get not it. $17 million it's, or a franchise icon. I get icon. it that it's only $5 million and he's not a franchise hey, icon. Look. I wouldn't do it because to me it's a waste of $5 million. Hey, look, everyone. BK's convinced himself that Rich Hill helps yeah. the Cardinals in 2024. Hey, no one. I said it comes with the front end of trading for Logan Gilbert no. and then signing no. a stud. BK. Like he is signed to buy you time on these young pitchers that you have that could be your number BK five. BK will starter. absolutely I used to respect you, BK. BK now. will absolutely come on this show in February when Rich Hill and Sonny Gray are their offseason moves and talk about how this team's going to compete for 2024. This reminds me of the, of the 2016 20- Cardinals rotation. <laughs> Look at the 2013 rotation and That's tell me exactly what I was going to say. The junk drawers next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. football season and around these parts that means that it's time for me to get my commissioner cap back on oh good Alex for a Ferrario. 15 second pick this year and Tanner Hendrickson out. I'm Brandon Kylie voted out we fired him so I sent out the text this morning and frankly I didn't appreciate the responses <laughs> I sent out the classic hey friends it's fantasy football <laughs> yeah, time everybody your ready to mistake. go again and most of the responses out of the 13 people that were invited, first of all, everybody said yes. And second of all, they all said something to the effect of, am I going to be able to make my picks this year? Now, for those of you not familiar with what happened last year, um, there was a little bit of a snafu. snafu. It's an accident. A little bit. It's totally understandable. No, I just think it was a BKO where you thought it gave you an advantage and you just sucked. Everybody <laughs> was very busy and it was kind of a last minute thing. I was like, you know what? We should probably do a fantasy draft this year. And there was like one day and two hours where everybody could do it. So I put the time clock at 30 seconds per pick. I didn't realize how fast 30 seconds goes until you get on the clock and you're still crossing off the players that were just selected on your list. So it wasn't an accident. You thought it would be fine. True. <laughs> It was a mess up. It's just a corrupt individual. Should we do 30 seconds again no. this year because we got better at it? Actually, yes, because I want to see what Kerry <laughs> Davis does to you. No, no. I want to see if Kerry Davis can break you with just his two hands. I also wanted to ask you this. Do we need to add anything stakes wise for the no. league this year? Just calm down over there. What do you mean? No, he wants to do the if you have the highest offense a week, you get no. a little pay. No, 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 no. First of all, not appreciative of that voice that you made. So I do like those leagues where you, you need get to be paid a little out bit weekly, higher. and know, then there's I, also a lump sum at the end. I know BK really wanted to do that last year because he had the highest scoring team and missed the playoffs. I feel like that was fair. No, yeah, you get One rewarded. Corrupt and a commissioner. Good, and the yeah. other thing, it keeps people interested. So, like, if your team's three and nine. You're still fighting for something because in week 13, you could still win that individual week and you get paid out for that week. So Ah. I I do think there's value to it, but neither here nor there. Um, Veto. The last place team 
I feel like there should be a punishment involved. We're on YouTube now. Every single show is involved oh my in God. this league. And the winner, I'm sorry, the loser has to wear a t-shirt with the winner's face on it for an entire week. There should be something involved. That would be great. I'm not telling you that we got to decide right now specifically what that is, but I think there should be a I agree. toilet bowl. Whoa. The last place team like goes swirly? up against the second to last place team in the final week of the season, just as if it is a championship game. I like that. For the and the loser has to have some sort of a punishment. I like that. I don't, it doesn't have to be anything crazy. Maybe a beer mile. Oh, so not a tattoo. Oh. Got it. I got, a, I got a picture of T Bone vomiting. The I don't think anybody's going to do that. Exactly. I like that. But we got to come up with the challenge because you're going to have to get everybody to approve it first. Yeah, that's fair. But you guys are good with this. You think it's a it's a good decision because Mayo last year my no. commissioner <laughs> decisions no. I didn't run it past people and yeah. went maybe poorly. you should look into like a co commissioner and a special assistant to the commissioner. Yeah. Which T Bone can do that role. I'll be your co commissioner. I feel like you were the uh, special assistant. Get the bleep out of here. T Bone looks like a special assistant. He's more I'm, trustworthy though. Yeah. I would be worried about you stealing the money. <laughs> I would be too. No, come on. I'm come also on, the guy that makes sure. I'm a very bleep honest individual. Done. I'm the guy that makes sure bleep gets no. done. If you guys have the number one pick this year, who are you taking? Ooh. Jefferson or Kelsey? PPR league. Assume yeah. PPR. I would probably go Justin Jefferson. I would go Jefferson. If you got the number two pick this year, who are you taking? Kelsey. I'd go Cup. I think that guy's going to have another Didn't massive year. just get injured? I know, but just it's, get a hammy, it it's just a hammy issue. And man. who's his quarterback? Stafford. For what? Three games? Yeah, then they got everybody's favorite, Stenson Bennett. Oh, geez. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, oh my God, I forgot Stenson Bennett was on that team. You know what team. I will not do in the first round? No matter where I'm picking, I'll even stretch on a Take wide a receiver. running back? I'm not taking running back in the first I round. I think I'm with him, with him there. I think everybody that took, I'm trying to think in our league last year, didn't you take Taylor in the first the round, old, right? The old, McCaffrey. The That's only right. one that I would back. the only one that I would consider or No, I took Taylor and because I didn't want to have the injury issues of McCaffrey <laughs> yeah. and then I ended up with the injury yeah. issues of The Taylor. only the only running back I would consider if I'm late in that first round is Austin Eckler. Because he does I everything. I wouldn't take I a running would because back. he's typically the guy that always puts up the most points. But would, again, I'm thinking like 13 or 14. The most likely running back that I would take is honestly Bajan Robinson with Atlanta. Because I'm 99% certain they're going to be run heavy this year. Yeah. Like, they have a quarterback that is essentially a rookie. They have a coach that has shown a propensity to be heavier with the running game in general. And they've got a really good offensive line and a terrible division that they're going up against. Oh, my God. How about this? Fantasy punishment. Everyone pitches in $50, flies the loser to a random city. Person doesn't know where they go until they enter the code at the airport. Fly them to the worst place that you can think of and make them do a scavenger hunt. Could you imagine doing that to Jamie Rivers or Kerry Davis? Nope, not doing that. Coming up next, what is the reaction going to be if Jack Flaherty goes on to have a bunch of success in his tenure with the Baltimore Orioles? I'm genuinely curious your perspective on this. The mic drop features on the 101 ESPN app. We can also hear from you via the Air Comfort Service text line at 314-399-9646. How are you going to react if Jack Flaherty has success? We'll hear it next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. We'll get to this Jack Flaherty discussion here in just a moment. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. You guys can also get your thoughts in on the mic drop feature on the 101 ESPN app. What's your reaction going to be 
if Jack Flaherty goes on to have a lot of success in Baltimore, both down the stretch in the regular season and then into the postseason. But there is some breaking news. This comes from Nicole Auerbach, uh, who writes for NBC Sports. She says a source confirms that a group of Big Ten presidents has begun exploratory discussions about whether expanding membership by two or four teams could make sense for the league. She says that Oregon, Washington, Cal, and Stanford are under discussion for the Big Ten. Alex, this is no surprise. The Pac-12 is completely in flux. Colorado has already decided to leave for the Big 12. USC and UCLA are coming to the Big Ten next year. Uh, the Pac-12 is folding. That, that's what's happening right before our very eyes right now. They failed to negotiate a TV rights deal that was worthy of their membership, And now all of the teams have decided, you know what? Screw this. It's better for us to go get our guaranteed membership elsewhere. Yeah. Follow the money. And we talked about this last year where you're going to start seeing these conferences dissolve into what a big three in terms of conferences. And the question is just going to be how fast until it dissolves. And I would imagine if this steps in, you're talking what a year, maybe two before it's just completely gone. Yeah. I I would think you're talking probably next year. I I would think that this will be pretty accelerated because of what's happening right now in the PAC 12. I would think Oregon, Washington, that those are the top two teams that are probably under discussion here. And I would think the timing would be similar to UCLA and USC making the move. Just add them all at once. It makes a lot more sense than having to wait a year uh, to add the other group of teams. I I don't know that Cal and Stanford, like from an academic perspective, they make a ton of sense for the Big Ten because they do have really high academic Stanford uh, standards and both Cal and Stanford meet that, of course. From a sports perspective, though, do I don't know that those would be two teams that I would be interested in adding personally. I don't know. There's a lot of funds that come with those two teams transitioning elsewhere i I suppose i know this is something that they look at market wise you'd be adding the bay area which certainly helps if you're the big 10 but you already have la you would be having oregon and washington in this scenario i I don't know that you need to add the bay area because there's probably usc fans that i know you mentioned it does gpa play into this at all because that raises it obviously gpa no but they're it's called AAU institutions. This is getting super into the weeds, but uh, it was one of the reasons why Mizzou was ever even under consideration for the Big Ten is because they are an AAU university, um, and Cal and Stanford both fit into that criteria. So uh, it's something that the Big Ten looks at more than any other conference in America. They they really do care about the academic, but really research side of things. Cal and Stanford fit into that, but uh, that's the latest right now with the college realignment. Once again, conferences are... Uh, the Pac-12 probably going to be gone, I would assume, here within the next few years, or at least not looking like the conference that we remember as of right now. Okay, so on the Jack Flaherty thing, Alex, if he goes on to have success somewhere else, I'm going to say good for him. That's it. It's really that simple. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't have any curiosity here, because I do. I am fascinated to see what another team decides to do with Jack, because the Cardinals fixed, quote-unquote, Steven Matz. They fixed Jordan Hicks. They have not been able to fix Jack Flaherty. Now, he's been solid this year, but his fastball is getting hit harder than what you would like. His slider has not been a very good pitch for him for the majority of the season, and the velocity has been all over the place. Eno Saris put out a tweet earlier today of, hey, when Jack Flaherty's fastball averages more than 94 miles per hour, he's been excellent this season. Anytime that it's been below that, he's been really bad, like a six ERA type of bad in those starts. So it really does sometimes come down to velocity for him. 
And I don't know if you can just go to him and say, hey, we want you to max effort from start to finish and we'll see where that ends up taking you. I I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do to be able to improve his command because it's been off for most of this season. But that's the thing that I'm most curious about. But I don't think there's any way to really be critical about this. The Cardinals tried it with Jack. It was just a matter of health, kind of like with Michael Walker. Yeah, I it's it's not the same, but I view it kind of as the Vladimir Tarasenko trade this past year like you wondered like what are they going to look like when Vladdy goes somewhere and has success and to me it was yeah it sucks that you see somebody go have success elsewhere and you never could have reclaimed that in St. Louis but it just felt like it was time and for me personally if he goes out there and just dominates with Baltimore and helps them make some type of deep playoff run I'm going to look at it and say yeah it sucks that you didn't get this for a full season in St. Louis, not just this year, but overall in his career, but good for Jack because it just seemed it was never going to be accomplished in St. Louis. And some guys, that's just where the evaluation comes. You look at it and you say he was never going to get to that threshold again in St. Louis. Maybe he just needed a change of scenery. The same that I said with Vladdy Tarasenko, and I look at Jack Flaherty the exact same way. Next season, if he continues to have a ton of success and pitches like an ace, Again, I think it's just going to be past news for the Cardinals unless they don't go get their guys at the top end of the rotation. Because if he pitches well and the Cardinals settle on Sonny Gray, that's going to tick some Cardinals fans off. Is there a good comparison for Jack Flaherty with the Blues? Can you think of one that comes to mind for you on a guy that had all of the potential, had it show for like one really excellent season And then it just, they kept trying, kept trying, kept trying, never really was able to reclaim that standard because of injuries. I can't. Vince Dunn. Not injuries, but Vince Dunn. I see the name that came up to me. He never reached the ceiling. That was the name that came to mind for me of like a guy that went on to have a lot of success elsewhere and didn't really get the opportunity here. I feel like that's more. I think you saw it that following year of the cup because he was a top four defenseman for them when Jay Bolmeister went down. It feels more like Lane Thomas to me. Where it's like, it just didn't work here. He got an opportunity, and it was very clearly time to move on. You could see how it would work somewhere else. Now, he's reached probably a higher ceiling than what Lane Thomas yeah. has gone on to, but Lane Thomas is a really solid player elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, maybe Kevin Shattenkirk, but I, I think Chatty actually kind of declined after he left St. Louis, which is unfortunate so, for him. Somebody mentions a good one. Maybe it's Jaden Schwartz. Really good player. Was a huge piece to what they were trying to accomplish, and you kind of knew by the end that it was time. I actually think the the other texter, Robbie Fabry, makes a lot more sense. Robbie Fabry looked like a guy who could score 30 goals in his second season, and then the injuries just took place for him. He never reclaimed it, and then when he went to Detroit, now he's still dealing with injuries, but when he got to Detroit, he looked back to that level of pure goal score that you saw in St. Louis. But the Schwartz one is good, too. I just, it's different. The the truth is there's probably nobody. Probably not. It's different for Schwartz because... He was older, and Jack's 27 years old. Yep. Like Jack's still in that prime, so it's just a tough comp for the uh, for the Blues to go with a Cardinals player like Jack Flaherty, which is why it's just so hard to sit there and be frustrated if he goes on and deals. Yeah, I, I think the closest comp that we've seen here in St. Louis is Michael Walker. I mean, Michael Walker early on in his Cardinals career here was absolutely remarkable. Like, the dude was every bit as good as the Cardinals were hoping he would be. He almost immediately fit into the rotation for the Cardinals. And, uh, I mean, if you remember, Alex, you were doing the games at the time over on KMOX. 
he was a guy that Cardinals fans genuinely believed was going to be the next front end starter that would fill the spot of Adam Wainwright. Like yep. He was going to hold that mantle of the leadership stuff, like face of the franchise, face of the rotation. That was him. And in 2015, when the Cardinals had that incredible rotation, he threw 180 innings that year with a 3.3 ERA. And then the injury started to mount, and over the next few seasons, he just was never the same guy again. He ended up being okay at times when he was healthy, but he just he wasn't able to recapture that form that he had in that 2015 season. So that's probably the closest comparison. And when he was done here, I think everybody was ready to move on because of the injuries. You just never were able to count on him. And now that he's had success over the last couple of years, the only feeling that I have is good for him. Seriously. Because he was so good early on. He seemed like a great dude. Everybody loved him. And he deserves to have that success elsewhere. So I'm really happy that he's had that success. I think that's going to be my same feeling if Jack Flaherty, whether it's in Baltimore or wherever he signs in the offseason, I'm just going to say I'm happy that he's having success elsewhere. And I know that's kind of a lame thing, but it's true. Yeah. And you see that with a lot of former athletes. Like, it's rare that you get frustrated when a player is moved unless he was traded away. That's where it really stings. And this one was traded away, but it was a pending free agent. And I think a lot of people viewed this as, well, Jack's not coming back. And some of that is unfair. He got the label of never wanting to be in St. Louis, which, I mean, I've I've talked with Jack before, and Jack's never felt that way. He loves St. Louis, but it was about the money for a player like that, which, frankly, it should be when you're an athlete and you go through the minors and make it to the majors and have success. Um, but you know who else got all of the money that they were deserved? Yadier Molina. Yadier Molina got a three-year, sixty million dollars to finish out his career here in St. Louis. Adam Wainwright just got a seventeen and a half million dollar contract to finish out his career here in St. Louis. Jack was just doing the same thing that everybody else does in Major League yeah. Baseball, but he got villainized. And, for well, it. and it was the attitude he had, which again, I kind of think it was unfair. Of oh, well, he just wants to get all the money possible. Yeah, that's what anybody would do in that situation. You don't want to make a deal for a long term commitment if you're banking on yourself. So I, I do feel like it was some unfair criticism towards Jack Flaherty. But what Jack suffered from was injuries and inability to hit that peak that you once touched, which is why it'll be frustrating for people if he gets there again with Baltimore and then whoever he signs with for the next three, four, five years. But I also, me personally, look at that and say he just was never going to get there in St. Louis. All right, let's go to some of your mic drops. Let's start with Vic. What's his reaction going to be if Jack Flaherty ends up going on to have success either with Baltimore or elsewhere? If Jack or any of these guys have success on the other teams, it's once again more failure by the management ownership to um, get rid of the wrong players. I wish Jack all the luck. My son is eight. He got Jack's autograph a couple weeks ago when Jack was still on the team. So he's upset. Um, That's cool. But um, no, you couldn't have fixed the team with just these rentals. I understand that. But you could have been, you're the Cardinals. You're not sellers. I don't care how bad the team. You don't sell this because everybody else is telling you to sell. You still are buyers. You get ready to compete for next year. See, that's where I would push back. I don't I don't view Jack going elsewhere and saying, Oh, well the Cardinals couldn't couldn't develop their talent. Like you did develop the talent. You went through multiple pitching coaches to try and reclaim that factor with Jack. Jack was just always injured in St. Yeah, Louis. Jack was a victim of what captures a lot of careers among major league pitchers, and that's that's yeah. injuries. Like Jack got hurt. That's the truth. The the velocity dipped and the results dipped because of the velocity. And why did the velocity go? Because his shoulder went guys like I'm not trying to talk down to anybody, but that's, that's the truth. Like he, 
He's a pitcher, and pitchers break. I can I can beat up on the Cardinals for the gallon and the Alcantara trades. Sure. I'm not going to do that for Jack Flaherty because this is not the Cardinals not evaluating talent properly. This is the Cardinals finally saying, look, it's not working here. We need to move on. Let's continue. Let's hear from Lisa. Hey, guys. So I just won't be surprised. I mean, I think the struggles on the field are a product of of not paying attention to some of the details. I mean, Obviously, the Cardinals have trouble right now developing pitchers or sloppy. I mean, there's some stuff going on that is outside of just the athletes. So it's not going to surprise me if all of them do well. Makes me kind of sad. I wish. I hope Jack goes and does does great things. But it's not going to surprise me when not just Jack, but that they all do well. Because our team has problems developing pitchers and hitters and any other thing right now all right thanks guys they're not developing they're not having any issues developing hitters for for what it's worth yeah they got good hitters they're they're doing that about as well as anybody in major league baseball they are to her point absolutely struggling with the pitching development and it's something that needs to be reprioritized into the offseason like why do they not have a pitching lab that so many other teams have right now? I, it's crazy expensive to put it together, but the Cardinals need to have one of those like on a significant level once the all of the renovations are done down in Jupiter. Like That kind of stuff needs to happen, and they are behind the curve in that regard. But the development of the pitching, I also think, has to do with the lack of talent in the pitching play, pipeline as well. Let's hear one more from FedEx Joe. What are you? What's your reaction going to be if Jack goes on to have success elsewhere? My reactions, if Flaherty goes on to the old St. Louis Browns <laughs> and has success, it's fine. <laughs> Whatever. Good riddance, Jack. You didn't want to be here. What do I care what success or failure he has? He's in the American League East now. He's not in the National League. It's not going to affect us at all. He's Baltimore's problem now, not St. Louis's. One less thing to worry about. And nobody should have any thoughts of, oh, he got away. He's so good now. Why didn't we keep him? I, I sincerely ask this question. When you think of problematic athletes that played in St. Louis, Jack Flaherty is not at the top of that list. Uh, like, did he have issues in terms of attitude, sure, but I think a lot of guys go through situations like that. I can think of plenty of them, but I'm not looking at Jack Flaherty as somebody that is, ah, oh, get rid of the guy. He's a he's a problem for this Cardinals team. The only problem was he couldn't stay healthy. I'll say it because we have to. The reason why people viewed him as a problem was the political stances that he took. Like, if you disagreed with him politically, and I'm not taking a side either way, but... If you disagreed with him politically, that's that's why you probably have an issue with Jack Flaherty. That's it. His stuff at like post game press conference or media availability, he got prickly sometimes. So did Yadier Molina. Like a lot of guys get prickly. Everybody sometimes. Everybody gets prickly with the media. You know what I really would not enjoy, Alex? When we have a bad show, which does happen from time to time, very rarely, but occasionally, Speak and somebody yourself. comes up to me afterwards and says, "Hey, why didn't that go well?" Well. I'm not going to respond well in that spot. I'm not. Blames it on me. Probably. Passes the blame. And so, like, if you put a microphone in my face right after a, a bad performance by myself, I would also not respond particularly well. So, yeah, the prickly stuff, I think that sometimes came back to bite him with the media or, more importantly, with fans. But I think the biggest thing was he was in St. Louis and 
was very outspoken in a time where a lot of stuff was happening politically in our country. And I think that end up ended up being really one of the biggest reasons why fans turned on him, right or wrong. And it it affected how people viewed his on-field performance as a result. I don't think it was really anything about what he did on the field, the way that he presented himself, because you could talk to guys. I promise you, you could talk to anybody with the Cardinals. They did not have any issues with Jack Flaherty on the field. Jack Flaherty, the professional will get as high marks as you can ask for from an athlete. People love that dude. People loved competing with that dude. The problem of course was not even a problem. Really? The, the stuff that got him into trouble was that he was willing to say things publicly that some people here in St. Louis disagreed with right or wrong. That, which, that, that's where things went wrong. Which athletes do that. I, I mean, there are plenty of athletes people, that do that. People, people do, do that. that. Yeah, and that's what we forget about that. We think it's supposed to be a robot. If you disagreed with Jack, it's because you are also allowed to have your stance publicly. Right. And these guys are robots. They 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 have their... I mean, it's the, it's the common cliche saying when it comes to this, but I, I think Jack Flaherty, again, unfairly suffered from this throughout his career, and it just got even more highlighted because he showed you that he had the potential of being an ace, but just was never able to get back to that. So everything else that goes on, if Jack Flaherty is 2019 in his entire career, I don't think anything else that's going on matters to people. But because he just always struggled, I think that also stuck in people's crawl. Coming up next, Alex, I said yesterday was the uh, the finale. Oh, no. no, 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 sir. It was not. Back by popular demand. It's time for the final Major League Baseball trade deadline roundup here yeah! on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I know I can't do this hat. This hat doesn't fit my head. Now I sound like BK. All right, boys, let's go around Major League Baseball for the trade deadline. Trade deadline roundup. Guys, who do you think was the biggest winner at this year's trade deadline? There's not a whole lot of big deals to be had here. So who do you think was the biggest winner with what they were able to accomplish at the deadline? Uh, I actually think it's a a tie for winners between the Rangers and the Astros. I think both teams accomplished what they needed to in terms of adding the necessary piece to help them compete. And what I also love about it is you got two teams that are in the same division fighting with each other for that positioning. And you got Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander. Can I go next? No. Mine's sure. twofold, and I think T-Bone's going to hate what I have to say here. Baltimore? No. God, I know who one of them it's is. It's the Angels, and it's not like two oh, different yeah. teams. Just one team. It's the Angels for two reasons. One, because of what they were able to add and what they didn't get rid of. And two... Because, guys, not very many teams in the American League in the wild card uh, actually improved. The Astros did. Totally agree with you, Alex. The Blue Jays added a couple of Cardinals. I like Jordan Hicks a lot, but if that's your biggest acquisition at the trade deadline, did you upgrade a ton? Not really. The Red Sox added a guy that ended up being sent down to AAA. The Astros slash Rangers, one of them will be in that mix. So one of those teams improved. What the Rays do that really improved them in a significant way? Savali? He's good. Nice starting pitcher. Is that going to really change what I expect you to do in the postseason race? Not really. 
I think the Angels improved more than the Rays did. So I'll give the Angels their kudos. It very well may end up setting their franchise back five years. Who cares? They're going to suck in five years anyways. They always do. They've got Shohei Otani right now. I like that they went for it. I think they are the trade deadline winner. It's wild that no team in the National League like upgraded significantly like the American League team said. I think everybody in the National League is like, yeah, there's Atlanta. That's about it. <laughs> we get it. We yeah. Down here for us. Yeah. We're, we're not going to be the there. The Dodgers tried it, and then apparently some guy was yeah. like, bah, rather be in Detroit the rest LA. of the season. LA stinks. Uh, no, I would say the winner was Houston. I, I think Houston won by getting Verlander. I think he's the one piece that puts them over the top in the American League. I, I like what Texas did, but I think there's flashing red alarms with Max Scherzer that make me a little worried. Now, granted, I understand why they made that deal, because Steve Cohen basically have Max Scherzer. Like, okay, sign me up. But I, I would definitely say for me, it's the Houston Astros won the MLB trade deadline. All right, Alex, as we continue with our Major League Baseball trade deadline. Round up, let's dance, partner. That one got him. In your opinion, how long is it going to be before the Mets are contending again? <laughs> After they traded away, Mark Canna, Justin Verlander, and Max Scherzer along with a couple of other players And as $96 million. Well. Yeah, that, that too. Steve Cohen, guys. Um, I'll say less than five years. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would hope so. <laughs> it's not the Angels, man. <laughs> if it takes more than five years for the Mets with their payroll to contend, something has gone horribly well, when right. Is it, and when everybody when has is a team fired. ever who spent the most money in free agency been competitive the next year? That's a fair point. I mean, even the Yankees used to suck when they would spend all of the money in free agency. So. It's- been a while since the and, winner of the offseason was truly a winner. And if I'm not mistaken, Pete Alonzo's a free agent next year or next in year, two yeah. years. They should trade him this offseason, and I'm not kidding. Their yeah. minor league system isn't great, and you really don't have up-and-coming pieces that are going to be taking over certain spots. So who are you building around? Can I give you guys their lineup right now? It's bad. So Nimmo, Lindor, McNeil, Alonzo. That's a perfectly fine top four. I don't love McNeil hitting third for me, but whatever. You can make that work. Vogelbach, Beatty, Alvarez, DJ Stewart, and Rafael Ortega. Woof. That is a terrible hey, lineup. Isn't Rafael Ortega a former Cardinal prospect? Is he? He'll be great. This is a team that is in a really bad spot right now. Even their rotation, which coming into the season, we're like, oh, if the Cardinals could just have the Mets rotation, we'd be feeling good. Kodai Senga, really good. Carlos Carrasco? Jose Quintana? That's it. I want, I want to get time at the deadline. They, they I, I mean, you might be able to get him in the offseason. That's okay. like screw Rich Hill. Get Jose Quintana in the offseason. Have no. him be your number five starter going into next I don't year. want any of them. I want new faces. Fair. But in I, new places? I think it's going to take three years. I think it's going to take three years. They need to reset the books. They need yeah. to reset their or farm less than system five like years? they did at the deadline. Three years from now, I think they'll be good again. I'll say, I'm going to go a little bit short. I'm going two because I think in two years is when the book's really clear from the Scherzer and Verlander's deals to where they can get back to spending in free agency. And Cohen, Cohen is smart. Not, not when you look at his record this year. Not when you throw $96 billion or million. Dollars. Yeah, I actually he, thought that was the smart thing they did. Yeah, at the what, what he wants to do, and he said this before making the big acquisitions of Verlander and Scherzer, was spend money but also be a team that's developing prospects. Well, what happened was they spent money and then the development side really took a hit. So he had to speed up the process 
process on development. So I like what he did at the deadline for giving up the money and getting those top 100 prospects. I think it takes probably about two years. Those guys get some seasoning in the minors. They come up about the same time that the books kind of clear and they can go back and spend in free agency. All right, last thing here for our Major League Baseball trade deadline. Round of silver away. Whoa, Nessie. <laughs> All right, who was the most underwhelming team at the trade deadline, in your opinion? The team that should have made more moves that did it. Oh, it's the Dodgers. I feel like there's like 10 different options here. Yeah, I, to me, it was a super underwhelming deadline in general. To me, the Dodgers, like Lance Lynn and Joe Kelly, good gets, but I still think you should have either gotten another big bat or a big name on the pitcher. And I know they tried for Eduardo Rodriguez, but I would have, if. I would have gone bigger before Rodriguez. And if I keep failing, I keep failing. I would have gotten somebody, though, because Lance Lynn, to me, great, not going to get it done. I would probably say the Yankees for me, because I think Cashman put in the trade deadline in his phone wrong. Uh, Cash, <laughs> the deadline was, was yesterday. Yeah, because they did truly they, nothing. They stink. I know, that's, but they shouldn't be trying to contend. They should have traded more. Choose a lane, man. Yeah, Choose a lane. They Either should have traded more or buy. And Cashman was just like, you know what? We're going to get guys back. And that's they did good the Cardinals deadline from 21. No, maybe yeah. Cashman believes, maybe he's a big fan of the Blues in 2019 and said, well, they stood pat I, and look at us. For a guy that is supposedly under a lot of pressure in New York, Cashman had like his feet up and was smoking a cigar and having a martini at he his desk during the trade deadline. Like way in the season. Yeah, I agree. Because again, choose a lane, man. Choose a lane. You either are a seller or you're a buyer. And I agree, that team stinks. Isn't their lane going after Otani, though? I mean, I don't know how. I mean, they didn't clear anything off the books. Like, that's the thing. If you, they should have pulled the Mets off. We know where Otani's going. Dodgers. Yeah. Angels. Yeah. No. He's going to stay in for 10 years. (laughs) Yeah. He's going to the Dodgers or he's going to the Mariners. Those are the two spots. Oh yeah. God, I think he goes every to the Mariners. Cardinals fan should be thrilled if he goes to the Mariners. Yeah, yeah. I can't wait to get that Logan Gilbert. You can uh, go get Lo- Luis Castillo if I they end up getting uh, Shohei. I want Logan Gilbert. Hey, man, I'd take whoever. I think they would trade <laughs> Gilbert. Tell me which one. I'll take Wu and Gilbert. Yeah, give me all of them. Like <sighs> We'll just get our starters from the Mariners, all of them. Uh, I think the Orioles. I think the Orioles are the most disappointing team at the trade deadline. And it's because they weren't more aggressive. This is a team that has like, I think it's seven top 100 prospects right now. Yeah. Their system is loaded. They are in first place in the AL East. They have right now the best record in the American League. And the only thing you really added of consequence was Jack Flaherty. I like Jack, but really? That was it? You couldn't add any other uh, bats that you could add to this mix? I don't know. That... To me, the Baltimore Orioles, given what they have in their system right now and given how good they are right now and how long it's been since they've been a contending team, I think they're the most disappointing team at the deadline for me. Also, but the Cubs should be disappointing. The Cubs? Yeah. Like, you got Candelario, great. But, like, if you're going to be buyers, don't you think you should have been, like, an aggressive buyer rather than just a, hey, let's add this. What are you doing, guys? I don't think the well, Twins know that they're in a playoff race. To be fair, everybody in the AL Central was like, eh, shrug them up. We'll get in. There's just, there's a lot of teams that I feel like are kind of in I thought between. Cincinnati was pretty underwhelming, too. Yeah. For a team that, and look, I get it. They're not like the Baltimore Orioles where it's like, hey, we're in our division, in the best division in baseball. Cincinnati basically was like, eh, shrug them up. Especially we'll with Joey out. Votto. Like, I would have liked to yeah. see them go all in for a guy like Joey Votto, who might be in his last year. Just a, a weird trade deadline in general for basically every team not named the Cardinals, who at least knew what they were doing. Even if you, like, disagree with how aggressive they were or their lack of aggressiveness, 
they got rid of all the dudes that are going to be up, uh, under no longer under contract at the end of the year. So they had a very clear plan and they were able to execute it. Coming up next, Matthew Libertor. You got one more chance, buddy. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan. Featuring zero fees and zero closing costs. For Matthew Libertor, alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Save your text 314-399-9646. I know that he is still a very young man. I know. He is just 23 years old. He'll turn 24 in the offseason. His birthday is three days before mine. I understand that he is a very young pitcher. But tomorrow night, that's the start of what is 10 starts down the stretch that will determine whether or not Matthew Libertor is going to be in your rotation next year. Matthew Libertor could absolutely be a bullpen arm for the Cardinals in 2024. I genuinely believe he could be a good one. A lefty reliever that's thrown 96-97 with a curveball from hell, and you see that 60% of the time coming out of the pen? Yeah, I could see how that would work. But Matthew Libertor right now does not know how to get right-handed hitters out, Alex. Since he has come up this season, this is not even including his rookie year last year, Right-handed hitters are batting 350 against Matthew Libertor with an OPS of 950. To put that in other words, they have a better batting average than Luis Arise, and in terms of OPS on the season, they have a better OPS against him than like Nolan Arenado had last year. Yikes. It's not good, man. It's really not good. So if he doesn't figure that out, he can't be a starter. Because 70% of the hitters that he's going to go against on a night-in, night-out basis will be right-handed. He can be a reliever that comes in when you've got the big-time left-handed bats that are coming into the game. But you just do not want this guy to face right-handed hitters. And the biggest reason why is very simple. His fastball has not played up in the big leagues. Opposing hitters this year are batting 375 against Matthew Libertor's fastball. They are slugging 600 against it. And based on the batted ball data, the nerds tell me that he's actually gotten pretty lucky with those numbers. So again, 375 batting average, almost a 600 slugging percentage against him when he throws his fastball. And he's gotten lucky in that regard. I say all of that to say this. I hope that Matthew Libertor is awesome the rest of the year. There would be nothing better for the Cardinals than for him to go out there and shove when there's no expectations. and And he knows every fifth day he's starting for the Cardinals. But there is no reason based on what we've seen yet to believe that will happen. I hope nothing more than to be wrong about him. Yeah, I'm I'm not as quick to say, like, just pull the plug on it if it doesn't work the rest of the season, because I think he should be in the mix of competition next year for that fifth spot in the rotation. It seems like there's going to be a lot of guys in that mix and he should be the internal competition is healthy. Give him another full off season to work on whatever stuff he needs to work on. So next year for me is going to be that kind of like, okay, this is your final moment. Like any opportunities you get next year, if you don't pan out, then I'm done with it. And whoever out pitches you in that fifth man rotation spot mix, you lost your job to it. But this is the start of it. Like, 
the seat's warm. We talk about seats being warm for coaches. The seat's warm for Matthew Libertor. And if you struggle in these final 10 and look like a guy that can only get one inning, yeah, it's going to be real tough for you to impress me next year in spring training of overcoming that competition of um, the other guys. But I won't sit here and say like he doesn't have any shot next year because, frankly, I should be giving shots to a lot of guys right now. Yeah, see, I, I think he is pitching more so for his starting career in the big leagues right now because I, I think if he struggles this time around, this will be the third stint that it's been bad for Matthew Libertor. Two this year, one last year. And I think you look at that and you go, okay, for whatever reason, it's not working out. Maybe you try him as a reliever. Maybe you do give him a shot in spring training. But I think guys that you haven't seen, McGreevy, Graceffo, Tink Hens, who's just a couple years away, Roby, another one of those arms that you acquired, Kloffenstein potentially, like I think all those guys suddenly start to begin the leapfrogging of Matthew Libertor in the organization. So is he out of the organization? No, maybe you try him as bullpen arm, maybe you do give him one more shot in spring training. But, man, he, he struggles again this time around. I think the, you start to see that leapfrog effect where people start to surpass him on the depth chart here in the organization. That's the thing. I, this is not about, like... It, whether you want to call it giving up on him or whatever, like, yeah, and I understand he's very young, and we've gotten a lot of these texts that say, hey, guys, he just needs some time. He's got to get to the big leagues. He's got to learn. There might be more uh, in him than what you're giving him credit for, even if he struggles this year. Uh, maybe, maybe, but I don't have time. I don't. As as the Cardinals, you got to find this out quick. This is the, one of the tough things about competing every year, guys. The Cardinals and the Yankees are in a very – Dodgers would fit into this criteria as well. They're in a very unique position in that they don't tank. They don't have down years. This is the rare opportunity to have a down year where you can focus a little bit more on development, where if Matthew Libertor goes out there every fifth day and it's a learning experience for him, this is okay right now. That's what this time is for. That's what Mason Wynn, whenever he gets up to the big leagues, come up and if you strike out 35% of the time the rest of the way because you don't know how to hit major league sliders, that's fine. This is your opportunity to figure out, okay, what can I do to adjust to that pitch? What do I need to see? What do I need to work on in the offseason to spit on that and to bring them back into the zone? Those are the kinds of things that you have the opportunity to do now, but normally you don't. Next year, the Cardinals are planning to contend again. And if Matthew Libertor is not going to be somebody that is ready to be a part of a contending rotation, then he can't be a part of this rotation. Maybe that means he's traded elsewhere and he ends up three years from now being a really good starter for the Pirates. Or maybe it means he's just going to be a really nice lefty bullpen arm for you. That's not the worst thing in the world. You can make really good money and become a very important piece to a championship roster. If your role is, come in and strike out Bryce Harper and strike out uh, Kyle Schwarber. Like th- that is an important role to be filled on the Cardinals. Somebody's got to do it, and it might end up being Matthew Libertor. If I'm not mistaken... Wasn't Andrew Miller a guy that was a starting pitcher? Yeah. And he just didn't he work failed. out to be what it needed. And they said, well, let's move you to the bullpen. And he had that that incredible movement on a curveball that used to get so many people to strike out. That could be the trajectory of a Matthew Libertor. And look how vital an Andrew Miller was in his team's postseason run. So that's why it's not a bad thing if he just becomes a bullpen arm. I know people will say it's a bad thing because, well, you traded Randy Rosarena. Let's separate the two. Yeah, you traded Randy Rosarena. Move on from that. But if Matthew Libertor can't be the starting pitcher for you, but Matthew Libertor becomes one of the best shutdown left-handed relievers in baseball, I'd call that still a win for a team that's trying to contend in 2024. Andrew Chafin is another guy that I would throw into this mix, right? Like, 
He was a failed starter in the minors. Has a t-shirt to tell you about. Every single guy that ends up in the bullpen at some point in their career was probably a starter. I mean, look at what Jordan Hicks has become, right? Jordan Hicks tried to be a starter in the big leagues. It failed. It didn't work. And they wanted to see what it would look like because, honestly, it was out of necessity. They were desperate for a guy that could come in and help them in their rotation. It didn't work, and they decided, you know what, this guy's really good in one inning. Let's go ahead and go it that way. Matthew Libertor might be great in that role next year, and that might be something that just fits better with his arsenal if he can't end up getting right-handed hitters out. Somebody on the text line says, guys, but he's got to face three batters no matter what. He does. But if you're going up against the Phillies in the postseason and they've got two of the three guys that you're going up against are stud lefties, they're not going to pinch hit for them. And you just hold your breath as he goes up against that right-handed hitter and hope that the numbers don't go against you. That's it. That that could be his role long-term here in St. Louis. But for the next two months, you find out what he's got in this, as a starter. And this is what they absolutely should be doing. Should do it with him. Should do it with Graceffo. Should do it with McGreevy. Be interested to see what they decide to do with the roster over the next two weeks. Alex, I know you are going to be doing something here pretty soon as well. What can you tell the people? Friday, Federated Auto Parts Raceway at I-55 in Peevely, Missouri. I'm going to be there from 3 to 5, getting set for the Ironman 55, the World of Outlaws, Nas Energy Sprint Cars, back for a high-speed weekend, including the most challenging race on the tour, which is the Ironman 55. Get on out here. Come say hi to me from 3 to 5 o'clock, and don't miss out on this extravaganza taking place both Friday and Saturday at the Federated Auto Parts Raceway at I-55 in Peevely, Missouri. You can get all the details at 101ESPN.com. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. If you guys missed anything from today's show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, into the free 101 ESPN app is where you go to find it. Keith Law, Katie Wu both gave us great perspective on what the Cardinals were able to accomplish and, frankly, what they didn't accomplish at this year's trade deadline. We will be talking more about that tomorrow. Until then, the Fastlane's got you covered here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.